0: This is a production of Dirty Mo Media. Hey everybody, it's Dale Jr. We're back again for another season of the Dale Jr. Download. Not much has changed. No. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, a lot has changed. We got a whole new studio and uh, a lot of hard work went into it. Really excited about that. And uh, we're going to put on some awesome shows this this season, and I'm excited to, to get started. So Mike Davis is back he is my co-host. Our first uh, – we're going to have a lot more guests this year, Mike. Our guest uh, for today's podcast is going to be Tony Yuri Jr. and Tony Yuri Sr., and uh, we'll talk to them in a little bit, but let's get started.
1: Year 2019. Set. Built. Microphone.
0: One, two, three.
1: Shift. Video. Rolling.
0: The Dale Jr. Downs.
1: Podcast go. Dale Earth
2: Jr. Check the plan, you win. Oh, yeah!
1: Woo! <laughs> Mighty this.
2: Drivers need to shut up and dance.
1: Full-off. Oh. <laughs> Fun-meter-head. <laughs> the Dale Jr. Download. The season starts now. Mike, uh, I think...
0: I think Matthew Dillner has a little too much fun putting those <laughs> together. No, and, um, really,
1: what made you think that? Yeah,
0: we had we talked about, you know, we got a new studio. Uh, Matthew Dillner's back. We also have a new partner. Leah, Leah Vaughn is going to be on the show. You're going to hear from Leah from time to time throughout the season. She's going to have a lot of cool. Uh, I won't really go through the detail, but she's going to have a lot of <laughs> cool input on the show, and it's going to be social media based. So as we're doing the show, there'll be Things happening on our social media handles, the Dirty Mo Media social media handles, and Leah will be controlling most of that. Uh, Live polls, interaction with you fans as we're listening and and doing the show as they're listening. But uh, excited about all this. It's going to be fun this season. Uh, We also have um, NBCSN covering the show for a complete hour on Tuesdays at 5 o'clock. It's replacing the 5 o'clock NASCAR America uh, that you typically had last year. Well, now it's um, NASCAR America presents the Dale Jr. Download starting at five o'clock on NBCSN. So it's going to be an exciting year. The studio is amazing, Mike. I know that you spearheaded this. You've had a lot of help. Uh, you may can go into detail about that, but it looks incredible.
2: Well, we basically pillaged everything at your property and brought yeah, over here. So basically, we just moved Dirty Mo Acres right into the shop here. And so, uh, listen. The, the the question is, do you like? If you are happy, if you oh, think cr- this is yeah. a good representation, I mean, we got a little Jimmy Means over here in the corner. We got a pinball machine that's probably not even in a in a shot that is a uh, special to you. This is a this is a little uh, this a little shrine to be honest with Absolutely. you.
0: Absolutely. As we go through the season, we can get into detail on what these items mean and and their their you know their reference to whatever has happened in our, in my life or your life even, and 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 the stories we'll tell. But uh, I'm excited about. The studio, it looks great. It feels great. Uh, I think it's gonna be fun for our guests. Uh, We're gonna miss the couch. Are you? Are you really? Really? Well, we'll miss that just a little bit. A little bit. All right. (laughs) Nobody could get
1: too tired on this set. That
0: I've already had people on (laughs) social media say that we should bronze the couch. Um, Some way, (laughs) somehow, we should we should uh, you know (laughs) be able to remember the couch and acknowledge its uh, its assistance in helping us create this. Awesome podcast over the years. Well, the
2: couch is now in uh, Aunt Kathy's living room. Well, damn. That's right. I mean, there you go. I mean, right. it is now a living room couch. So it's couch.
0: still it's still doing its thing. <laughs> yeah, still in yeah. the family. Yeah. Well, uh, so let's get right into uh, what's going on in, in the NASCAR world. Uh, before we bring on our guest, uh, Tony Urie Jr. and Tony Urie Sr. We, we invited Tony Jr., hoping that he would bring Sr. Uh, they're going to get on here in a bit. We're going to talk mainly about their careers. Before they ever started, uh, we won't talk about Bud 8 Days. We won't talk about... Hendrick days and all that I want to hear more about what they did when they started racing what what's their memories of of uh getting started in racing but uh we're going to talk a little bit a little NASCAR news before then there's a lot going on in the sport uh we had a uh race yesterday
2: the clash yeah uh, did you guys watch the clash Which version of it? I I watched the first before the rain, first rain delay, second rain delay. I got to it. Finally, we had a race uh, that didn't
1: actually finish. I went old school and MRN did on the way back driving from Daytona. Uh, Well, you
0: you probably got the better version uh, (laughs) listening to it that way, Matthew. It was uh, you know the rain was very the rain's always difficult when you have have that kind of slow in the process of the race. You know, we kept having the cars come down pit road and that's always kind of, you know, kind of rough to be able to enjoy the race that way. The guys ran around the top. Everybody got in line. Wasn't very exciting, but you couldn't, you know, and and the fans will say as the race is going on, the fans reaction to that is why won't they get in line? This is boring. Well, there's a lot of reasons. I'll go over them. Uh, The package itself creates some of that. So we can look at changing the cars a little bit to try to make the cars race a little better so that when you do get out of line, you don't go straight to the back. If the drivers could pull out of line and know that they would not go right to the rear, they would. They would pull out of line, but the drivers will not pull out of line because they know they're going to the back. And that's a fault of the package and the way the car races, the way that spoiler, uh, restrictor plate, and all that works together. And so the drivers are put in a box. They sort of have their hands tied behind their back in that situation. It's not that they want to ride around for all those laps doing nothing. Believe me, race car drivers love running two and three wide. They love trying to get the lead, take the lead. They all have big egos, and they want to satisfy those by being badass, and and the package doesn't allow them to do that. So once two or three or four cars get to that top line – That basically takes control over the race, and there's nothing you can do about it. You saw it at a few points in the race where the bottom line tried their best to form some kind of uh, lane and and create some momentum, and it just never uh, panned out. So NASCAR can look at changing the package. Well, good luck. They are. (laughs) When we go to Talladega, Daytona, Talladega later this year, we won't be – racing a package like this now do i know what that new package is going to be like and race like no i don't i don't know what that's going to look like i don't know whether that will fix it but i'm just trying to help people understand why the drivers do what they do why they were all running up against that line and um, it isn't preference it isn't by choice it's by necessity and um, hopefully going forward Hopefully the Daytona 500 with more cars out there won't be like that. There's a good possibility that if enough cars get in that top line, that will happen. There's nothing you can do about it. But if it's really hot and warm and slick and the track gets a little difficult, that could create some unique situations. So, so
2: do I need to lose my mind or not lose my mind don't, yet
0: about packages?
1: Don't Oh, yeah. Mike loves packages yeah. like you love 8x10 I, photos. You know, we started off.
0: <laughs> I don't. Look, I, I, I'm sure there are good reasons why. NASCAR did not just go right into the new tapered spacer for this race like they will at Talladega and Daytona going on uh, throughout the year. I don't know why they didn't just jump on into the, the Daytona 500 with both feet and start with the new tapered spacer package, mm-hmm. right? They didn't, and so this is what we have. We'll see, uh, as maybe on Thursday when we go to the qualifiers, if it looks any different. If, it, if we see more of that in the qualifiers, then the Daytona 500 could be similar and... Uh, That'll be frustrating. One of the things that I think they could do to help this clash, I'm a, and I say this, I hate, I, I've tried to avoid playing devil's advocate, uh, and you know, especially after the fact, going, well, this is how, this is what they should have done. Da, da, da. I yeah. try to avoid doing that because it's I, I, it annoys me when people do it, and it, and and I don't want to be that guy, but I'm only going to say this because I'm afraid that. The clash is going to end up getting scrapped altogether. Mm. There's been, ch- ch- you know, there's been a little chatter about what what's the importance of this race? Is it necessary and so forth? Sl- slimming down the schedule and whatnot. Um, it, and and the race itself ha- had lost its identity. I mean, look at yep. all the different names that they've called it over the years and sure. how you're eligible to get into the race. That's changed. All yep. that muddied the waters. All right and created a, an identity crisis for this race. Here's how you cure all those issues. You can cure how, the car, how they raced in that race. You can cure the identity of the race itself. It needs to be strictly for pole winners. Mm. I've said this before. Yep. Mm-hmm. They need to go to strictly pole winners of the race. Not Nobody else gets in. If you win a pole, you get to run the race. All right? And if that leaves out your stars,
2: so, so be, be it. it. So be it. It's you know, what happens. It's an
0: invitation-only And it will create some interesting conversation about poll winners each week. When guys would win the poll in the 80s, 90s, whatever, when this race had an identity, they would get out and be excited and say in their interview, I'm in the Clash next year. This is exciting. We are in the Clash. Because it was important to be in that race. Just like when you would win, I'm in the All-Star race now. Yeah. Because I won. All right, so... If they would go back to just having poll winners eligible only, no other eligibility, Pole winners only, 20 laps. Run the Ooh. race in 20, in a, it's a 20-lap sprint. Like That's that. what it was That's in the 80s. That's what it should be. Run it before qualifying. It is not the dessert of the day. It is not the premier event of the day. Pole is. Pole qualifying is. I Setting think they the, should be
1: separate days anyway because you, you should have headlines. I disagree.
0: I think it should be at the start of the day. The pole winner setting the field, setting the front row for the Daytona 500 is the focus. This clash is a 20-lap exhibition for pole winners at the start of the day. That's to celebrate what those guys accomplished the year before by getting the pole, right? You have that race. That gets you
1: warmed up for qualifying. And then, because look how important is qualifying is important qualifying is the main thing but like I look at it like yesterday I'm driving and I'm thinking, okay, what's going to be the headline today? Qualifying, who's on the pole for the Daytona yeah. 500, should be the darn headline. Is, exactly. But then if something happens and Jimmy wins, and all this big wreck happens, and all that, and that might be the headline it's, for, for for our sport. I liked it when it was two separate days because you'd have two separate big headlines yeah. of our sport being out
0: there. I, I don't think you need to spread it out over the weekend. I think that you you know you can have it. You can have this 20 lap race at the start of the day. Then you have qualifying preceding that. You celebrate the front row and the pole winner of the biggest race of the year. And then
2: you're done. The question is, is the risk greater than the reward to run the Clash?
1: Most people are bringing different cars. and, and Well, of course they're bringing different cars. Who wouldn't want to win no, a no, damn no, no. race at Daytona? That's the whole thing. That used to be the whole point. Well, you I, know? G-
2: I guess I'm asking, I mean, like, what do you think the Crew. Uh, I mean, is this, not, is this why people would be considering scrapping that race because people of the risk? People would
0: consider scrapping the race because of its relevance yeah. and its importance and its identity, which it don't doesn't really a- attain anymore. It has lost a lot of that uh, over the years with multiple different name changes, the multiple different ways you could get eligible for the race. At one point, anyone and everyone could get into the race. If you had a valid North Carolina or, or United States driver's license and had, <laughs> and had competed in any type of stock car racing event in the previous year, you basically could enter into what was the shootout, or whatever the hell they call it, the unlimited um, so they just need to go back to what it used to be. It was great. Then it can be great again. We don't, you know, we don't need to have a fault, uh, you know, this, this mid race caution period for no reason. I mean, they, that basically set that caution period is there in the middle of that race. And there's no point in racing, yeah. Until that, you know, but until beyond that caution period, everybody <laughs> sat there and watched that happen and knows that, hey man, that's these guys up. aren't going to race till yeah. the end. Well, let's get rid of all that. Yeah. F-. Let's get rid of that n- that nonsense and just have a twenty lap race and let them go. And all Anybody right?
2: that does race, they shame the, the other drivers will shame them. What are you racing at lap six for? Just get to the yeah, end. Yeah, there's a I mean, caution anyways. Yeah, yeah that's you know? yeah.
0: Let's just get to the caution and get beyond that. Let's get rid
2: of all that. So. That's my two cents. Well, hold on. Did you have an opinion on how that race unfolded? Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, A lot of people blame Jimmy. A lot of people, you know, said that uh, Menard came down. I was reading an old, uh, I was reading this old article. um, So Benny Parsons won the Daytona 500 in 75, 76, right? David Pearson's leading the race. He comes up on a couple lap cars, and he spins out, going down the back straightaway. David Pearson spun out, leading the Daytona 500 mm. with just a handful of laps to go, handing the victory to Benny Parsons. Everybody was up in arms about how that happened. And ben, and David Pearson got out and said, look, it wasn't the lap car's fault. It wasn't this guy and this guy. It wasn't nobody else's fault. It's just how the car – when I got in that area, it moved the cars around and created a problem and got me spun out. All right? Mm. I had contact with another car. is And people just don't understand how the cars are moving around going at that speed, how the cars, the cars interact with each other and are manipulated by each other. And the movement of the 48 from out behind the 21 affects the 21's car. And he's having to control his car because it's trying to move around because of what Jimmy did. Jimmy just went from behind him to the, to his left rear quarter panel and, the 21-car Menard has to correct for that because it tries to steer his car in one way or another. All right? People don't realize that. They think the cars are just going and the guys are in total, complete control. They're not. All right? So as Paul Menard had to adjust for that maneuver, that change in air pressure or what happened, whatever creates that, that, that function of his car moving around by the air, he steered to the left a little bit. Jimmy was very aggressive in trying to side draft the 21. Didn't anticipate the 21 moving, and he hit him. He was very aggressive in trying to side draft and ended up running in the side of the 21 car. So in my mind, it's a bit, it's it's a racing deal. They're all at fault and nobody's at fault. Mm. And so, you know, you could say that Jimmy was extremely aggressive trying to side draft.
2: Um, he didn't he didn't disagree with that. Yeah, he said it
0: <laughs> right. And so. Yep. I would put that, I would put a little bit of responsibility on Jimmy for being very aggressive for dry, side drafting, but also the 21 car did move. He had a movement, but albeit it was only a half a foot to a foot, but that's all it takes. Mm. If Jimmy's going to be that aggressive on the side draft, the 21 cannot be moving, but you don't know how the change from Jimmy coming, Jimmy moving out from behind that 21, you do not know what the 21 had to do with the steering wheel to correct that how that changed his car, because the cars move around. If I, get to the, if I try to uh, side-draft a guy, it sucks his car closer to me. It can, it can do some weird things out there. And that's what David Pearson was trying to say about how he got in a crash on the back straightaway and lost the Daytona 500. He's like, it's nobody's fault. People don't understand how the cars move around when they, are, they manipulate each other and move each other around, and they can make contact without un, totally unintentional. And so, you know, I was just happened to read that story yesterday and thought, man, this is so similar. And and here is David Pearson, one of the greatest of all time, in the same situation with the same comments uh, as my opinion of the wreck, of the wreck. And so, you know, I can't, I don't put it entirely on Jimmy. I don't put it entirely off his shoulders either. And um, you know, Menard's car did move, but did Menard have to? Contr- you know, did Menard have to? make that steering input because oh, sure. of his car moving around because of its, you know how Jimmy moved out from behind him. It could have sucked his car around and made him correct for that. I think that a blocking maneuver would have been way, way more pronounced. Oh, I don't think he blocked. Right? I don't think he I mean, knew that Jimmy was pulling out.
2: To me, it looked like Jimmy's car moved more right than Paul's left, but yeah. both of the attitudes of the car seemed to be affected uh, by the change which you're, you're speaking about.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I've, I'll tell you one thing.
2: It's a terrible feeling when you wreck all the field. I've done that. Um, I bet that's. I bet that. I bet those those commercials like you want to get away. You know, like like find one place you'd rather be than the one that just wrecked twenty cars in an exhibition race. you You get to go to.
0: You get to go to Victor Lane, so that takes a little sting out of it. But it's embarrassing.
2: Entire- I was happy for Kevin meandering. Think about this. Yes. You know,
0: think about this. You tear up and destroy all those cars, and then you got to go back in the garage the rest of the week and be around all those people. Now, hey, that's embarrassing. Yeah. I wrecked the whole field one time
1: at a test. Oh, yeah, which is oh, that's worse. Oh yeah.
0: Boy, that was terrible. <laughs> we weren't even racing for nothing, right? We were just out there practicing, and I bump-drafted somebody wrong and wrecked all the cars, and uh, I wanted to crawl in a hole, man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it happens sometimes with an SH in front of it. Yeah.
0: So... Uh, another piece, there's a lot, there's, we're going to just kind of bounce around on some of the things that, uh, that's changing this year. One of the things that's not changing, NASCAR announced, uh, the NASCAR announced that group qualifying is going to remain for, uh, for the 2000 cup se- 2019 cup season group qualifying. So why that's important is because they've changed the package. When we go to Atlanta, um, it won't be quite as critical, but when we go to a lot of these tracks throughout the year with this. A uh, new package with less power and so forth and drag and all that drafting is going to be important. If you uh, were able to catch any of the action at the test for Las Vegas, you saw kind of how the cars are going to be racing around each other for the most part. A good, good, uh, you know, good example of what you might see going out through the season. So, if dra- if the draft is going to be critical, um, then group qualifying, you're going to have guys wanting to draft, mm-hmm. right? Needing to draft, mm-hmm. right? NASCAR said. They're not going to take away group qualifying. So when we go to a lot of these races, at least until maybe they change it, uh, we may see some wild things going on mm-hmm. uh, to get, for guys to manipulate their speed. They may, we may see a lot of what we see, I think, at the plate tracks where the manufacturers all get together and say, hey, let's all go out together. Let's all try to draft together and create the most speed we can. You may see the Chevrolets, the Toyotas, everybody acting independently as manufacturers, to try to work together as a group. Um, NASCAR did say they'll adjust as necessary. They're not going to stick their heads in the sand. Um, I just think it's really interesting. We don't believe single qualifying is going to uh, be very exciting, is what Scott Miller said. And I, I, I can take it or leave it. You know, the group qualifying for me hasn't really made it more interesting to watch. Going for the poll. Really?
3: No, it hasn't.
0: I, I, I hasn't done agree. much for me either. Yeah, I mean, the cars are still out there running by themselves. In the past, they have. They, you know, the guy goes out there and runs a lap, and there it is. Uh, it takes a little longer mm-hmm. uh, to, to to do it, single car runs, than group. Um, but for me, it, uh, I could take it or leave it. I could okay. do either one. I'm still sitting there waiting to see who's going to get the pole. Right. Either way. And... uh but anyway, Scott Miller uh, from NASCAR, they don't want to go away from the group qualifying because they think that the single-car qualifying is going to be uh, less exciting and fans won't be entertained. Um, so they're going to try to stick with group qualifying. That'll be interesting, something to watch, monitor as we go forward. They are going to shorten uh, the first session by five minutes to ten minutes, so it'll make things more urgent. I like that. Yep, there'll be five-minute breaks between the sessions instead of the seven. I like that as well. So they're tightening up the window, and that's great for the broadcast to have a tighter program. Um,
2: that's what we really care about at this point of our careers. Yeah, I mean, yeah. What is that, what is that Mike? <laughs> One make sure the TV broadcast is, uh, Especially the second half is the on, on point. Right. Well, it the just makes for a better
0: <laughs> show, a tighter show. There's no waiting around yeah, sitting here. That's what it's here. about. Especially with this group qualifying and, and the way the package is going to work, I think you might see a lot of waiting around.
1: That looks like, like a Vegas car dealer.
0: I Look at know, this. Look at all these papers. Here. It's I incredible. Of, I got a lot of information there.
2: Hit me. <laughs> do you, do, 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 I mean, if you're talking about qualifying, we should probably mention that Hendrick Motorsports took the front row at right. Daytona 500, <laughs> William Byron, and Alex Bowman, man. your old car.
0: I, I'm not surprised. I mean, they've been fast every time they go to plate tracks. The, there's tons of statistics. They've locked up the front row at Daytona four times over the last, what, eight years or they're something legit like that? they there, yeah. Yeah. So uh, got me my first uh, Daytona 500 pole. And uh, so the, the, they're they're – Single car speed is incredible. Now I don't. I'm. I'm going to reserve my opinion about what they're going to be like in race conditions. We've seen this kind of speed out of them before, but we always see the Penske cars seem to navigate toward the front in the race itself. They all. So the the Hendrick cars seem to have the straight line speed, the ability to run fast alone, but they. They, uh, I don't know if they pair that with the handling as well as the Penske, car do, the, the Penske cars do. And maybe there's something that the Penske cars have or have figured out that helps their cars and allows their cars to draft better. Maybe the body of the Ford is better at sucking up and pushing and so forth in the draft than the Chevrolet body. I don't know. I know that there are a lot of things in the uh, Indu- cal induction, the, the air cleaner and all that, that can change the performance of your car in the draft. So um, Penske's got a great combination, whatever it is. I expect them to be the cars to beat. They'll be there. Yeah. They'll be there. Underrated news hidden in the announcements. Each of NASCAR's three national series will have dedicated series-specific officials to conduct inspections. That's awesome. So, yeah, we uh, inspections. Um, beginning in 2019, according to NASCAR's vice president of officiating and technical inspection, Elton Sawyer, the series will have 12 dedicated officials. For NASCAR, the Xfinity will have 10. The truck series will have eight. Um, that's important because as we change the inspection process and they've made a new rule that they are going to leave the racetrack with a guaranteed winner, there will be no Tuesday
2: penalties and no taking encumbered wins. Yeah, No yeah. taking it back to the R&D.
0: Right. So when, we, when the race is over, there'll be a two-hour process of inspection and a declared official winner. No ifs, ands, or buts. And that's great. We all like that. I think the drivers have been talking. Uh, the drivers like it. I think the series is glad to get you know get that off their hands and not worry about having to go back and take the cars to the R and D center and do all this during the week where they got to you know penalize a guy and uh, everybody's upset because they never take the wins away. All that good stuff. Well, now that can happen at the racetrack and it'll be done and, and official by the end of the evening. Great. Why do you? Why would you care that NASCAR has specific officials for each series? Well, as this inspection process gets slimmed down and changed. It still needs integrity, mm. right? We still don't want guys getting, getting through uh, you know, the system or gaming the system. And if you have in, you know, officials that really are spread thin, working across all several series, they're going to have a hard time catching all the tricks, right? Mm. So to have dedicated officials to the series, they'll be able to kind of stay up to speed with what's going on um, and keep, uh, keep everybody honest. So I really like what the changes – I really love these changes that NASCAR is making.
2: If you get, you know, you talk about Steve Phelps, and uh, I've been impressed with him in his short time uh, at the helm. He's making some, uh, it sounds like he's listening to fans and also teams, and I don't know, that's an impossible position to be in if you really want to shake it. We, we, You know, we can sit here and scrutinize NASCAR, but listen, I'll give Steve Phelps the benefit of the doubt and say, listen, man, you go make those changes that you think are best uh, and – Because you just asked the question, why do I care? I don't care about how many officials are there. I do care about midweek having to go, oh, wait, this guy didn't win or this guy completely uh, fooled the system. That does affect me a little bit. And so uh, if this is a way, this is a pretty ambitious step, one of many that they're making this offseason.
0: Yeah, I love everything that I'm hearing about NASCAR and the changes they've made. Uh, Jim France, uh, his influence is going to be awesome. He's at the track visible. Yeah. Which is um, excellent. Yeah, Phelps is a great guy. A lot of great history with him in the sport. He's got a great attitude, and he's, he's honest, maybe even to a fall. We've, we, he did an article this week where basically uh, admitted maybe we lost our way yeah, he as did. a sport. Yeah. right? Yeah. You never hear that from NASCAR. No. NASCAR would never admit to uh, missteps or uh, mistakes. They, not often and and uh but he basically said look you know we're 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 hitting the reset button we're going to look at a lot of things that uh we're going to change the way we've done a lot of things and and you know we we sort he he put it as we maybe alienated our hardcore fan mm-hmm. in search of that new fan well that he said that process and that practice is over that i think that should have a lot of nascar fans rejoicing to hear those words um I did not expect him to be so f- honest and forthcoming. So that was great and I think that says a lot about, you know, Phelps, yeah, as a person. Yeah. And it uh, gives me good confidence. Uh quickly, uh David Hoots, who's been in the, you know, he's been a longtime race director up in the uh, NASCAR booth. He basically is the guy who controls the event. All right? Put tells them when to put out the yellow, tells them when, you know, tells everybody how, you know, tells everything how to go. He runs the race, right? Controls the event. He's calling his last race, the Daytona 500. Anybody got any comments on that? I think David Hoots has done an amazing job, and I'm going to miss him.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Hoots, uh, people love him or hate him. The yeah. guy has been consistent throughout his yeah. career in how he calls races, and that's what you want from a race director. Yeah.
0: I think he's tough as nails, and and that's the kind of guy you want in that position. And hopefully uh, we got Tim Berman, and, and he's going to get up in there and do, take over that who job. Who is that?
2: I don't know who that is. No, Anybody no, know? No, no. All right, nobody knows who that I'm is. I'm hoping that Tim is just as tough.
1: Yeah. You need to be tough in those it's roles, man. Race directors are just like tech inspectors, man. Yeah. There's, you don't want somebody that's different from race to race or dependent on their mood. Right.
0: Also, we got the new Gen 7 body coming out in a couple of years. There's been a little chatter about that. NASCAR is going to develop a brand new car. All right. And they're talking about maybe having the composite bodies that the Xfinity cars well, have, I which it. I think is a great idea. Uh, should have some you know, cost savings for the teams over the year. Over the years, with that. I mean, the startup cost for that will be a little bit high, but as we go down the road, um, being able to put together composite bodies is a good thing. It's helped us in Xfinity Series. Uh, New engine with horsepower, more resembling the production model, is coming as well. So, this mm. is all happening roughly around the same time, 2020, 2021. Per NASCAR, the body needs to, uh, the body will highly resemble the production model. I think that's a great thing. Could you imagine?
2: I well, mean, that's a, that's a throwback. Yeah. That's a throwback idea. And that what we, and that what we have stock car racing for, I mean, isn't this what it's all about.
1: Now we just need yeah. some manufacturers to bolt some steel bumpers on there again. <laughs> yeah. Right.
2: <laughs> I, I wonder how long that process takes. I mean, obviously it's more, mul- you know, three, two, three years, Multiple but years. man, yeah. you talk about a undertaking right there.
0: Yeah. So I feel, I, I really hope that this meets the standard and the expectations of us as, as, as people in the sport, fans of the sport, um, The cars do need to look more, even more than they do today, like the cars we're seeing in the car lot and the cars we see driving up down the road. The cars need to resemble those production models as close as possible. Uh, We need to have that manufacturer connection. We need to make it important for manufacturers to want to be in the sport. And how are they, why would they want to be in the sport? Right. Why would they want to be involved in NASCAR? Well, that would be to sell cars, right? Sell cars off the car lot. So the cars need to look like the cars on the car lot. The old win-on-Sunday, sell-on-Monday slogan that was used so often back in the 80s and 90s when the cars did more resemble their production counterparts.
1: And more than just stickers, because now you look at those Camaros out there and you look at the Mustangs and all the yeah, different yeah, yeah. things, they're they are starting to look like the, the production cars now they are. are not they're, just
0: stickers. They're, they're slowly getting there as you see the, the grill and the bodies, the noses and tail pieces and so forth. But um, I think it needs to even be more pronounced and more aggressive to move in that direction to resemble the production model. It's important to the fans too, as you know that manufacturer identity and that importance creates superstar personalities. So, uh, and that connects that superstar to the manufacturer. So, okay, you're you're a Chevy guy, right? Okay, or maybe there's a you know, and you know a guy who's a Ford guy. He ain't gonna buy a Chevy. Nope. He's buying Fords all his life. Yeah. Right. There's gonna be Fords in his driveway. Yep. There's Chevys in your driveway. That's right. You're more than likely gonna pull for the guys that drive Chevys. He's gonna pull for the guys that drive Fords. Right. And those manufacturers create the superstars that empower, that sort of bolsters that, that superstar, that individual driver's identity and, and, and his celebrity, if you will. Uh, when you think about Bill Elliott, you think about Ford. You don't think about Chevy, you think about Ford. Bill and Ford were synonymous, they were together. They it, were-
2: until he went Dodge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah i don't
0: even remember that part right i don't i, don't
1: I think even more of ray everton well i mean I but, 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 but,
2: but to his point i mean that's yeah. a news story when somebody does yeah. that when they jump ship i mean yeah. even when when stewart haas uh made their manufacturer change i mean to some people listen there's an argument to me be, to be made one is there's not that manufacturer identity that you know maybe our dads had when they were kids or whatever mm-hmm. you know yeah uh but if NASCAR has a problem with a disconnect between their, you know, their core fan base, this is necessary, right? I yep. mean, you know, you, you, you got to go back. If Steve Phelps is saying we may have lost our way, that was all because we got distracted on what, where, where are we going next? Where are we going next? What are kids consuming now? What are you, know, you going to get fans? And that's important, but not at, not at the risk of losing the people that care about those manufacturers. That's and so if we could, there, there's got to be an idea that can appease both, yep, right? Yes. And so, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. So
0: all this is connected. So the manuf- getting the manufacturers to, sent, to see the importance of being involved is very critical to the health of the sport, and it also helps the driver's personalities and be able to sell the drivers to the fan. Um, this is why also you're seeing that new Gen 7 body and engine conversation come up. The changes that we have this year to the package that you'll start to see at Atlanta is a move in that direction. Uh, a transition to get to horsepower numbers that resemble those production models. And that makes it more interesting for new manufacturers to get involved. It is more reasonable financially for the new manufacturers to get involved. The, these manufacturers that want to be in the sport cannot afford to come in at 750, 800 horsepower. Uh, they, they, it's more reasonable for them to consider coming in at 450, 500, 550, whatever. So the um, – the, the opportunity for more more manufacturers to be involved, to be able to have a car on the racetrack that looks like the production model that they're selling on, on the car lot, to have drivers that are connected to that manufacturer and loyal to that manufacturer, that's really uh, very similar to, to where we were in our heyday. Yes. And it ties right in with Steve Phelps yeah. and his conversation about maybe we've lost our way. So all this sounds really good. Yeah. And my hope, again, is that when, we, when these cars are developed and we do get to see the Gen 7 body for the first time, that it, it, I, you know, that it looks so similar to the street car.
2: Um, and I think that's everybody's hope. Can I just add one, one more yeah. thing? I, I'm, I'm ready to be completely optimistic about NASCAR's future. I'm tired of hearing people, you know, shoot us down. I'm starting to take offense to it, as a matter of fact. And, you know, it's like Good. a lot of people... A lot of people sit there and want to throw darts at NASCAR and, yeah. you know, and we get, we get hit in the face with it every day. But, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that this thing didn't, you know, the sustainability of this sport isn't a coincidence. Right. And there is a connection to the automobile still. And so with Steve Phelps, it gives me I, I, I've made a personal choice to, 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 to hit the master reset and say, I'm going to be optimistic about this because, frankly, it's exhausting. It's yeah. exhausting sitting here complaining about things, isn't it? I mean, like, you know, the one, the, the one thing, as I say that, I'm going to complain about one thing. It's like <laughs> I really was rooting for the, to be an awesome weather weekend for Daytona. Yeah. You know, it's like I, I didn't need to see these rain delays and stuff, and that was just so disappointing to me because I'm really rooting for these changes to work, for people to, you know, f- finally get exhausted with me on the complaining and, and find all the good things about NASCAR. If we can literally look at all the good things that we do while we do this sport, there's a lot more than what we would you know go nitpick and complain about now NASCAR will have its you know this new race director he's going to have his moments. people are going to scrutinize his calls oh, yeah. you know that's going to happen but listen i mean let's 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 really kind of get together here on this and it's just exhausting being the one that sits there and bashes NASCAR, you know, that's just kind of where I'm at with that. That's, I guess my point on that is that's why I'm receiving all these new changes with a, a, an open mind about it.
0: Yeah, I think it's important to not look day-to-day. It's more to look into the future. This is a We're in a transition with these new rules this year that are going to take us somewhere, and we're going to take these next couple of years to learn how to make this package work and how to make the racing exciting for the drivers, how to make the cars fun to drive for the drivers, and it's a uh, it's gonna it's going to be a five to maybe even a ten year process.
2: Yeah, but the uh, drivers need to jump on board with that as well. They're not without sin in this, you know. Without
0: a, without a doubt.
2: Yeah, I mean the drivers, you know, th- there needs to be a master cal- recalibration of their mentalities. Yes. A lot of these young guys, you know, there needs to be some ownership about it. I'm not going to get on my soapbox about them, but I'm just saying is that they're, you know, that that goes across the board. The drivers need to jump on this too. You don't need to go sit there and scrutinize it when your car is, you know, these rules packages. I, again, I, I'm in the camp where I don't want to have to hear about rules packages because that bores me and I don't relate to it. So right. I don't need the drivers to force feed that to me at all.
0: Everybody sees all the changes happening within the sport, and I think everybody wants the best for it. Everybody wants the best. For but you're right, Mike. you got to realize that anytime you say anything bad about the sport, you're taking all the wind out of the sails. That's right. And um, and and fans will say, "Well, I want honesty." All right, well, that's true. But you're also you also got to think about the health of the sport and the future of the sport and what you know whether what you're going to say or do or how you're going to articulate yourself is going to help things or hinder things. So uh, we're going in the. I always learn. I learned too as a driver. NASCAR's going in this direction. You're going to get on the damn ship, or you're going to stand on the dock. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, so you can you can complain or you know about rules or an infraction or or packages whatever, but ain't nothing changing, right? So might as well pull your weight. Get on and pull your weight. All right. So we got the uris coming up here in a minute. Excited about that. And uh, before we get to that though, we got a pristine auction read.
2: All right. They're back. Yeah,
1: they oh, are. Oh yeah.
0: So pristine auction was a big supporter of the of the. Uh, podcast over the last year they're back again and uh what it is basically is an online sports auction site where you can bid and win authentic sports memorabilia from the comfort of your home uh, they offer daily auctions where all bids start at one dollar so that's pretty cheap that's pretty easy for everybody that to did, get involved
2: that didn't go up in the off season that's good no, to know yeah, stayed no, at a dollar <laughs>
0: uh, there's no waiting around so the auction is going to end quickly you got to hurry over and check it out. They're daily auctions, uh, but they also have other formats. They have the 10-minute auction, which is a lot of fun. Items pop up just for 10 minutes, and, and they're gone. And, and uh, you can jump in there and get some really, really great deals. And uh, they guarantee the authenticity of their items. It's, trust, it's, it's authenticated by the most trusted sources.
2: There you go. Yeah. You hit that
0: pronunciation. I've been 2019, nah. Nah. man. I've been you're on it. Well, I've been practicing
2: over the offseason. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sitting there reading old <laughs> racing programs and practicing authenticity. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, I, that's his off
0: I've signed uh, for pristine as no. I know a lot of other drivers have as well. So you know when you're bidding on these items, they are signed by the right by those individuals. You cannot trust that anywhere else. What's the best part though, Dale? The best part is the so affordable. Part. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know where I he was that, going with that either. I know. I, didn't either. <laughs> I think the I best. I think the best part is knowing that it's genuine. Because everywhere else you go, I mean, I'll, I'll even go on other sites and see autographs and go, "That's not mine. That's not. Re- I, I did not sign that."
2: What an awful feeling! It, that is, an must awful, be. it <laughs> is an awful. It is an awful feeling imagine, because you yes. know
0: someone's getting taken. Yeah. Yeah. And I. I that's the worst feeling. But um, if you go to Prestine. That's my autograph. Any other you know, any other autograph or item you see on there is genuine. Right now there's a signed die cast by my buddy Martin Trix Jr. It's his number 78 car from 2017, his mm-hmm. championship season. And the bidding is only at $15. A signed die cast. Hell, I might get in on that. <laughs> yeah. It's the blue fade paint scheme he drove to a win at Kansas. So it's a winning paint scheme. $15 bucks right now. I'm sure that's went up in just the last few minutes.
2: And I'm sure he left that win and went directly into a tree stand because it was in Kansas. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) or or he was coming from a tree stand. Or he was probably both. (laughs) Right,
0: Go check out pristineauction.com now. You'll be hooked. It's free to register. It's free to bid. So free. It's free, man. You only have to pay for the items you win. That's pristineauction spelled P-R-I-S-T-I-N-E auction.com. When you register, be sure to select Dell Jr., download podcast from the drop down menu in the how did you hear about us section that lets them know that we sent you and then they'll know to keep supporting our podcast uh you the listeners are in control thank you all right so our guests are here today for the dale jr download we talked about it we told everybody who was coming on for the first show this year tony uri jr pops is tony uri jr's guest we were hoping that you would come (laughs) along pops uh and and we 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 we're so glad to have both of you here I've got a lot of things that I'm excited to, to talk about and a lot of things that I don't even know about. And uh, I'm hoping to have you guys back uh, multiple times this year and so we can get more uh, get, get further down the line in the story that is y'all's lives and career in racing. But uh, for today's show, I kind of wanted to talk a lot about what you guys uh, experienced when you first started. What was your experiences... Your first memories of going to the racetrack, and, and your driving, your each of your driving careers, uh, maybe how uh, you know y'all interacted with Dad for the first few times. We want to get to that first trip to Daytona uh, that you went on with Dad. I've got pictures of the pit stops and all that. <laughs> uh, so first, let's just go ahead and kick right into it, Tony Senior. What's your first recollections of racing? Your father Ralph. Wh- when did you remember going to the racetrack?
4: Well, my dad, <clears throat> my dad at a dirt track there in Canapolis, a quarter mile. Kannapolis
0: had a dirt track?
4: Cannapolis had a dirt track. It was out off of uh, Center Grove Road. And uh, it was a little quarter mile. Started out street stock racing, playing, just having fun. And dad and my cousin, and it just kept escalating, getting bigger and bigger. So got to where we needed more motor. So <laughs> we didn't r- really know a whole lot about motors. So your, your grandfather, Ralph, called daddy up and needed a water heater put in the house. Yeah. So uh, he goes over, puts, the water, puts him in a water heater. He goes out in the shop and's talking to him, and and he told him, he said, I tell you what I'll do. He says, I'll swap you this water heater job for a yeah. motor. Yeah. He said, I need a motor for my car. So he says, Well, we'll get you a motor. That ain't no problem. And uh, so he ended up building him a motor for his for his little car. So it just kept getting bigger and bigger. Where well, they became really close friends and started quail hunting and deer hunting and everything together. So. While he was at, he'd stop by the shop and they'd just talk and laugh and carry on, you know. So, it ended up me and me and Randy and Dale would be out in the yard riding a go kart over in the woods or something. So yeah. That's kind of how it all got started, escalated, you know. So
0: this was probably around what year?
4: Oh, this was probably in 60s. the '60s. Yeah, yeah.
0: And so y'all, you and Dad were teenagers. Yeah. So y'all, I've heard stories about y'all hanging out. Um, cruising you know driving around town and stuff but i didn't know y'all knew each other as boys as young kids
4: yeah 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 we uh i guess dale was probably 15 16 whenever i first met him yeah and uh but me and randy went to school together so that was you know i really knew randy better than i did dale but when we got to hanging out over there then we got to riding that go-kart in the woods and all that stuff and then we got close with all of them you know so it just kind of escalated from there and then then it got to where we was hanging out up there at the idiot circle, riding What's around the, the, idiot idiot, circle? the idiot
0: circle. <laughs> <laughs> I think I know what that is. Probably but, the same place we were hanging out, Tony Jr. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah,
4: yeah. They had this uh, uptown Canapolis. Just had a big circle back there, and everybody go up there and just ride around the circle. When you get tired of riding there, you go to Concord and ride there a little bit. That's, what that's where we We would go. Yeah, all hang out in the parking lot and everything. So, uh.
0: so uh, tell me about that. Uh, tell me about cruising back then. I know a good story about you guys. <laughs> Y'all saw a guy out there with a car a little bit different, and so y'all went home and worked on yours in the middle of the the night.
4: Yeah, we were were riding around town there, and your dad had that 56 Chevrolet, and we was cruising around there, and this guy comes in. He's got the front of it all down low on the ground. You know, you didn't see a whole lot of that then. Come in, it really looked good. The back was up, you know. He says, that ain't nothing. I can have mine like that in about an hour. So we take off out of town. We go to the (laughs) shop, pull it in the shop. Got the torch out, jacked it up, <laughs> heated the springs up, let her down. We got her like we wanted her. <laughs> set the camera on it, and we took off, went back uptown.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Give him an hour. Give me an hour. I'll have that thing. <laughs>
0: That's funny, Goodness gracious. So what's your first recollection of you and dad going to the racetrack together?
4: Well, he you know, I was I was driving dirt car, he was driving dirt car, but never I never really raced against him. He was always like in a different class than I was. You know, he was always there. We we uh, Before I started racing, uh, Daddy and Ralph raced in the, the same class there, and Dale was in the class under that. So by the time I started driving, Dale had moved moved on up, so I never got to race against him. But it was around the old Concord, Metzaline Racetrack, you know, that's where and we all raced What at.
0: got you into driving? What made you want to try it?
4: Daddy loved to go to the Outer Banks fishing, and so every weekend when we'd go to the racetrack, he'd let me take his car out and practice it. So... Every week I was practicing, practicing. So he was going to go to the Outer Banks fishing. I said, well, you just need to let me take that car and race it. <laughs> he said, I don't care, take it. So they took off to the Outer Banks. So me and David, my brother-in-law, we went to Concord. We went to race. Yeah. And uh, I don't remember how it turned out, but.
0: You ended up building another uh, car.
4: Well, yeah, we ended up building another car. But then later on in that year, they had this race at Carolina, And they said no drivers that's currently driving could be in that race. But it had to be. Someone off of your crew had to drive that car. Uh-huh. So David Oliver's dad come to me and says, I want you to drive my car. So we went to Metralina, and Randy, he was in Dale's car mm-hmm. that, he used to, that he drove, and I drove uh, David Oliver's, and I ended up winning the race. So the next year, Dad said, all right, I'm going to give you my car. I'm going to build me a new one. So that's how I got
0: started. Ah, okay. And so <laughs> um, David Oliver is uh, – is a guy who owned the car that we restored for you. That was the car that you ran your very last race in?
4: Well, David was the driver of that car originally. Okay. Yeah, Danny Simmons owned the car. David Oliver drove it for a while. Yeah. But David Oliver, is the his dad was the owner of the K2 car.
0: Okay, the pink car, the dad drove. The pink car, yes. Yeah, okay. All right. So you and Dad married sisters? Of course they did, yeah. How'd that happen?
4: Well... He uh, he came to me and says, uh, "I want to go to to Carolina Speedway and race tomorrow's on Sunday." He said, "I don't have no help. Will you go with me?" I said, "Yeah, I'll go with you." I said, "I ain't doing nothing." So me and him and Randy jumped in a truck. We all took off and went to Carolina Speedway to race. We ran that race. We was coming home. This this was uh this turns into a big story here.
0: <laughs> go, go to town, all <laughs> time. go to town.
4: <laughs> so we go over there and race. He ended up in a wreck. We fixed it, and he finished the race. I don't remember where he finished, but we loaded up. And uh, we had to take it back to James Miller's house. So it was over in Rhymertown. So we took it back over, and he's running wide open. He said, I got a date with Brenda. I got I to gotta get home. He said, I'm late. He said, I got to go get Brenda. And uh, so when we get to James's, he calls Brenda and tells her he's late. She said, well, I can't go nowhere anyway because Daddy told me I had to take Sandra with me. <laughs> he says, okay. So he hangs up the phone. He says, you got to go with me tonight.
2: <laughs> Wingman. <laughs> yeah, he said, you
4: got to go with me. He said, we gotta take, i got to take Sandra with me. Me and Brenda's got to take Sandra with us. So you, I said, who is Sandra? He says, oh, she, she's a pretty girl. You'll like her. Yeah, your future wife. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
4: so, So we get in the car, and we take off, and he's just flying. It's the same 56 Chevrolet. We're flying down the road. We get out there on concord Bear Highway. Just, I mean, we're running. We're getting it. This guy backs out of the driveway in front of us. We go down through the ditch, knocking the mailboxes <laughs> down. Well, we're stuck in the ditch. We can't get out. So electric fences up on the front fender, fire's just flying <laughs> off of the front fender. So we get out We get out of the car. But Randy, he was in the pastures out on the right. And Dale said, Randy, don't get out that door. That electric fence will get you. So we all go out the left side. Randy walks right around the car and touches that fence. Oh, no. We <laughs> laugh. We stand on the side of the road laughing. The car's not really tore up. It's just in the ditch. So stood there figuring out how we are going to get out of the ditch. So this guy comes by. Randy, standing there and stops, and he says, hey, will you take Randy to the dad's house and get a truck and come back and pull us out of the ditch? He says, yeah, i will be glad to. So Randy jumps in the car with this guy, and they take off, so they're going to go get the truck. Well, we're standing there. Well, here comes this guy in a pickup truck. Somebody Dale knew. He said, I'll pull you out. He just jerks us out of the ditch. I said, all right, cool. So the man that went towards mailboxes, and stuff up, he's standing out there. And we said, we'll be back tomorrow, to fix the mailbox. All right. So we jump in the car, take off. Well, now we're going faster than we were the first time. But <laughs> well, we're really late now. Yeah. So we go by Randy. Randy's coming with the- a, <laughs> 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 poor guy. Yeah. We go yeah. flying by him, See you know, <laughs> <laughs> we get over to Kannapolis where the old Kmart is. The cops get us. <laughs> oh, man. So we're sitting in the car. I'm sitting in Damn. the car. They got him out. <laughs> they got him out. They got him in the car. And they're over there. They're just talking. I'm sitting in the car. I'm going, like, we're fixing to go to jail right here. I mean, we were hauling it now. We come by that, where that QT is now. We were hauling it. And uh, so <laughs> I'm sitting in the car. He comes over. And he goes, sticks his head in the window. He says, get in the driver's seat, and crank it up. And mash it to the floor. <laughs> no. I said, mash it to the floor? He said, yeah, just stomp it to the floor and make all the noise you can make. <sighs> okay. So I crank it up and just, Wah! like that. And he's all right. Cuts it off. He goes over and gets in the car. I'm going like, what was that all about? You right. know. So he comes back. He's laughing. He said, I got a muffler ticket.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
4: wow. So we take off. And then we ended up going to pick up Brendan
2: sander but that's how it all got the hangover movie's got nothing on you no. <laughs> i'm serious that, that's like the original hangover mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> movie
0: my gosh so a lot of people a lot of people think about you know y'all is just race car drivers y'all had jobs y'all had yeah. real
4: jobs where were you working great Dane trailers in charlotte yeah
0: and how long did you work there i worked there 16 years really yeah but and then their next job was for your dad. Was working for dad. Yeah. Dad worked with you at some point. At Great Dane. At yeah. Great Dane. How'd yep. that work out? Uh,
4: about two or three times he worked that <laughs> <laughs> would he
0: get he, fired?
4: He would work in the winter, and then the summer when he started racing, he never showed up, and they'd fire him. Then he'd come back. But he was such a good uh, aluminum welder and worker and stuff, that he'd come back in the winter and tell Blackman, I need my job back. He'd hire him back.
0: What kind of work was it for you guys? Uh,
4: trailer work, but Dale, he did a lot of aluminum welding and stuff like that, but... What were you doing? I was doing uh, lift gates, brakes, stuff like that. Yeah, sounds
0: tough. So you um, you end up quitting your job. Did you quit your job to yeah. go work for Dad? So how did that conversation happen? Well, like
4: for three or four years there, I was just working at night. I'd leave Charlotte at 4 o'clock and go straight over there and go to work, and we'd work 10 or 11 or whatever. At Dad's. At Dad's, yeah. yeah. And this, behind your mom's okay, house. Okay, yeah, so
0: this shop's behind Martha's. Yeah, right. Yeah.
4: So I would go there every day worked at 10 or 11 o'clock so over the winter we kind of messed around all winter long you know and comes time to go racing we ain't got no car ready we get a car from Page and pagan which, and, uh, start building it and harry harry Hyde jr i think put the body on it and so the car wasn't ready to go so i keep going over and going to work with well, him and teresa go to st thomas well
0: Got married and that was their honeymoon. Yeah, yep.
4: so they go to St. Thomas. Well, he's got his little bag phone. That's when the first mobile phone come out. It was yeah. in a bag. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So he he's down there on the beach with his bag phone. He's calling every two hours. You got y'all? Where are y'all at? Where are you, you getting anywhere on that car? I said. I said Dale, I, I got a job. I have to work every day. I'm only here three or four hours a night. I'm doing all I can do. Yeah. So. Kept on and on. He seemed we wasn't going to get it done. And what it was, we were going to test with, with children. So he says, you just need to come to work for me. I said, you've been hollering that for two or three years, but it's never happened. He said, well, I'm going to have to hire you because that's the only way we're going to get that car done. He said, I'm going to talk it over to Teresa. I'll call you back. So he called me back the next day and said, you just need to go ahead and quit your job. and hire you. I said, well, we need to talk about how much money you're paying first. <laughs>
3: right.
4: I said, I don't trust you. <laughs> So we got in an argument over the pay and all that. So I ended up quitting my job. I had a if you was there fifteen years, you got a little retirement thing anyway. So I'd been there sixteen. So so I said, all right, that's what I want to do anyway. So I quit and went work for him over at Marcus. Yeah.
0: Did you ever have any res- like reservations down down the road? You know, a couple months ago down the road, you're like, man, I, made I wish a I had done this. Yeah, I mean, nah. no, no, it, it was good from it was
4: good from day one.
0: Yeah. So around, I mean, obviously that time, Tony Jr.'s in your life and he's, uh, ha- how did, uh, how did Tony Jr., you have to kind of explain to, to the listeners how Tony Jr. got involved in racing because he was, he, you know, you and, you and Sandra split up and then Tony Jr. was not around racing a ton, right? No. So how did you get into racing? How were, what was your first memories of going to the racetrack or getting around race cars?
5: Um, I basically, uh, Robert G., our grandfather, I mean, that's how I would actually, I remember they were talking about how mean he was and like, Hey, you don't want to be around Robert. Like he, he'll wear you out. But it was, uh, I told mama, I said, I want to go out there and hang out with granddaddy. And I went out there for a weekend and we mowed grass, picked up rocks, done Mm -hmm. the normal stuff that he does. But you'd get to go out there in the race shop. And like he had all these race cars. And I mean, you remember, it's like there was shed. A shed in the back it had the old daryl waltrip 88 car right. like i'd walk back there and just up pull the cover off and you'd just be in awe yeah, you yeah. go down in that little shed and that little shed just had pictures of the 71 uh Roadrunner. all the wrecks i mean just stuff from the 70s and it was just like and you'd be like there were speed records on the wall of like posters and stuff and it's like you didn't you didn't know what all that meant back then but you was just in awe that all this stuff is around yeah and uh so basically me and granddaddy hit it off they everybody called him albert they called me little albert because i look just like him so we went everywhere together uh i started spending every summer out there so like i guess i was 14 then so basically uh i spent the next three summers staying with with granddaddy like i'd get out of school in june and i would stay there to august like wouldn't even come back home like enjoyed it so much but it's one of them deals where if you got your chores done around the house, like you got the grass mowed, you got the leaves up, well, then you could go to the shop, you know, and then some days you'd get to go to Hendrick Motorsports when they were up in that gray building up there on top of the hill. You'd get to go in there. And, yeah. And I can remember to this day it's like there was Cheech and Paul and David Watkins, all these guys are up there, and you're just looking at the stuff they're building, and you're just like, you're in awe. You're like, this is so cool. I think it was Tony Bunnell. Worked a lot with uh, Granddaddy out in the paint shop, so I'd go out there and kind of hang out with him. But it was just so impressive. Like, Granddaddy took it to another level as far as the way his cars looked. Like, he was going to show up at the racetrack, he was going to run good, but he was going
2: to look good. Mm. So uh, was, that... he, was he what they said he was? Uh, was he the intimidating guy that, uh, that, they, that you were scared about initially? Now,
5: he was never to me. I mean, I got chewed out one time it was pretty good. What for? I wrecked his scooter. And it was like uh, I was just telling the guys at the shop this. I mean, it's like I was out there and I, he was going to work over at Hendrix and I was sitting there with Mike Jarrett over there at the at the shop. Yeah. And I got this bright idea. I was gonna get on that scooter and go across to see Cooter. Cooter lived next door, so I went over there and I went across the hill, and it like jumped and it done the death wobble, boom, down we <laughs> went. Death you know. Tore the signal off, tore the mirror off. And I was like, oh, no, this is not good right here. Like, I can't take this butt whooping right here. So I go in there, and I put it back in its spot and hang his jacket on it. And I can remember to this day, I'm out there mowing. I was like, I ain't going back in that shop. Hopefully I'm gone before he ever realizes it. Like, I can take this chewing over the phone a whole lot better than I can. I mean, I see I got joint through your head. So I'm out there, and I'm mowing out there far away from the shop, and I see him come out there, and he's like. Uh-oh, I'm waving. And he gives you that hand like this. And I was like, oh no. So I cruise over and I get over and he goes, Boy, you've been on my scooter. I said, Yes, sir. You wrecked my scooter, didn't you? I said, Yes, sir. He goes, Don't be getting on nothing I got. I said, okay. (laughs) And then he's like I said, well, granddaddy, I'll come out here and I'll work the next couple weekends until I pay for I'll pay for it to get it fixed. You ain't got no money, ain't going to have no money, <laughs> and I'll be in a box dead and my scooter still be tore up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I remember it like it was yesterday. So when Granddaddy passed away, Mama's like, well, you you know, they give everybody, all the family, you could, you know, you pretty much got first dibs. And she's like, what do you want? I said, I want that scooter. <laughs> uh-huh. said, Why do you want that scooter? I said, because I'm going to fix that scooter. Oh. If it's the last thing I do, I will have that scooter. So... That scooter's fixed at my house. The light's back on it. The mirror's back on it. And I ride up down the driveway and go get the mail. That's so, awesome. But it was a, it's a classic. You know, it's, he wasn't as bad as everybody made out but he made you appreciate what you were doing, made you put everything you got into it. Like, you're going to do it right, you're going to do it one time. Attention to detail. Huh? Attention to detail. And that's probably, I can say, that that's probably the one biggest thing that I was really glad I went out there because that's what, the, that's what he taught me. It's like, do it once, do it nice, and do it right and and you can appreciate and people will applaud you for having a nice piece so that was the biggest thing that i got out of him you know i just really done done that and really just it, it was a good time for me i was really glad i got to do it one of the uh one of the things you talk about
0: uh with robert g is how pretty his race cars were and one of the things i would hear about all the time was how he made the dashes look like wood grain oh yeah so quickly
5: if you can for all the gearheads listening how would he make that dash look like a wood grain dash well he would basically take it and paint it orange then he would take the torch and take the soot off of it and blow soot across the dash and then take a rag and wipe it and i mean it looked just like wood grain like it was one of the and then he'd clear it yep then he'd clear over it yeah so he was a signature stuff like that i mean that you can get into a whole nother series of yeah. of stories of him of like him and Buddy Parrot, the die guard years. Like I've I've had so much fun just going over, there. like one night we went to Buddy Parrott's house and I think Todd was probably twenty. Uh Brad was still about seventeen years old and just going over and just listening to the, the die guard stories and it's just incredible.
0: Yeah, one of my another favorite of mine is the car that they used to take to Daytona to run the modified race with Darrell Waltrip was old Camaro. Yep. And the front front that uh Robert I say that, Robert G was uh, regarded as one of the best fabricators and body men in the business, and uh, <clears throat> worked on a number of different cars, uh, recognizable race cars over the years, the '71 K&K Dodge and so forth. Worked for Rick Hendrick for forever, uh, in their body shop. But one of the things they did with that modified on the front fenders, they were uh, they're big old humps. Oh and they yeah. Took a fender off of Volkswagen and fabricated that into the body of that Camaro, and yep. would. How would you, I mean, the, th- the, the, the fact that he could think, this is what I need. Where am I going to get it? I'm going to get it from this place, this car that doesn't even have no connection yep. to a muscle car like a Camaro and merge it into that body and make it work. Just incredible. Um, so you spent a lot of time with Robert G. That's, the, uh, that's our grandfather. Um, and it, but how did you get connected back to your dad? How did you and your dad start to interact and eventually you guys moved in together. You lived with him for a while. Yep. How did that all happen?
5: Well, the first, I guess, interaction was like I'd get to see him at the racetrack. Like, that was probably the first incident. Like, I went to Darlington with Granddaddy for the first time. That was probably one of my first races because it was close. I think I went to Daytona in 88 for the July race, but I never got to see the racetrack. And then uh, in 80, I guess it would be, what, 80, it had to be 87, 87, I think I went to the track, Darlington. And it was kind of funny because, like, all these guys are over there. You went with a box truck with an open trailer. You know, so that's how you went. So we're going down there. I'm over there waxing on the car. And I can remember Daddy, I'd look over there, and he'd be over there right beside him. But, but that time, like, there was a feud between Bodine and yes. Earnhardt. So I'm sitting over here with all this Levi Garrett stuff on. <laughs> oh. Granddaddy pops oh. is over here with all the Goodrich stuff. <laughs> and I'm over there polishing, waxing the car. It was the old Nova that's down there at Hendricks now was, and uh, polishing it. And they're like, what are you doing over there, boy? I said, I'm over here polishing this bumper because this is all y'all going to see this week. <laughs> <laughs> so I started talking smack right then, you know. That's well, awesome. <laughs> we ended up, we won the race. down won oh, the race. Wow. So I, Granddaddy gave me every hat, every trophy we had. I cut. I'm like, I ain't four foot ten, but I got this armload of stuff, and I've walked a long way around Darlington just so I can walk by their truck. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I said, is this what you boys are looking for? And they're like, you keep on, and you're going to get it, you yeah. know? And I was, like, laughing, and granddaddy's like, y'all leave my boy alone. Well, just so happened the next week was like, or next couple weeks was like Darla- or Bristol. So I go into Bristol, never been to Bristol. You have to unload everything, take it down in there. So I'm down in there. Well, I started talking my smack again. Well, Rick Boss, he comes over there. Come here, boy. He grabs me, takes me over rips my shirt off, cuts my shirt off of me. I got my Levi Garrett shirt. He cuts it off of me, takes my Levi Garrett hat, pours kerosene on, they light it on fire in the middle of Bristol. God dang. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Seems aggressive. I'm sitting there with a (laughs) pair of jeans. You know, they all go on the tech. So I'm standing over by the truck by myself, and I'm standing there with no shirt on, nothing but a pair of jeans. And they're like, I'm like, that was, that was all the clothes I got. So they're like, well, here. And they get this red shirt, and they throw it on me. And they're like, all right, now you look like something. Oh, my gosh. So Granddaddy comes back, and they're like, we fixed your boy up. We got his head right now. So that was kind of like the... He's like, y'all need to leave my boy alone. I'll be having to hear about that shirt all the way home. You know, but that was kind of like our first interaction to be able to see each other at the racetrack and was just racing. And then uh, at that particular time, you know, I'm 16, 17, same deal. Like, you, you're chasing uptown, cruising. You're trying to, be a, trying to be a teenager. But at the same time, I'm driving to Hendrix every day after school, trying to do whatever, learn whatever you can just to be around race cars. And then uh, we were building a house. Mom and my stepdad were building a house in Mount Pleasant. So it, I was driving from Mount Pleasant to Kanapolis to go finish school because I didn't want to change schools because everybody I'd went to school with my whole life, I didn't want to. Like I had two more, I had basically a year and a half left. So I'd drive from Mount Pleasant there every day. And then, uh, then it was like I was living in the travel trailer. Like we only had a, we bought five acres where it had a trailer and then you had a travel trailer. Well, I was living in the travel trailer, and Mom and Stepdad and their two brothers, they were living in the trailer. So basically, we got into it because, like, one's working first shift, the other one's working third shift, and they wanted me to babysit. As soon as I got home, well, I'm 18 years old, I'm wanting to go yeah. hang out with my friends. Instead, I got to babysit two brothers <laughs> from, like, three to seven, and then, you know, you're not doing anything. So we kind of got had a falling out, and then uh, so Mama called Pops and told him said you need to come get him he's gone crazy like you need to come get him, so he comes down there and he sees he's he's like he says you just need to get in the car, so I get in the car, we basically from that point on I live with Pops and it's like we've been like uh, I guess we'd say we've been more best friends than we have anything like no two doubt. roommates yeah. I mean we love each other but it's like we've we we're twenty four seven together yeah like we were two roommates best friends get up. Yeah, you know, I stayed at home there for a little bit, and he's like, all right, get up off that couch. You're going to work. And he goes, you ain't sitting here burning my electricity up. <laughs> yeah. you know? So I go to work. and um, You went to work at Dad's. Yep. So I went up there and just helping. It wasn't nobody but him and Rick. About what year is this? This is probably 90. Okay. This is probably 1990. Okay. Um, so I still had a year of school. So we, when I first got there, that's where we were building that car that's in the showroom over at DEI. It was that first uh, Daytona car. Mm. And they had a big rule change, and a bunch of stuff went on. So that's when we got the first Hopkins chassis. But I was like, I could polish a crush panel better than anybody you ever seen. Like, so that's like, I went up there, like, that's all I did. Yeah. I polished crush panels, chrome them up, because I'm sitting down there at Granddad's, everything that was aluminum, you polished. Mm-hmm. Like, it didn't go on the racetrack unless mm-hmm. it was polished or chrome. Yep. So they were laughing at me, like, your Granddad done ruined you. Like, and I polishing <laughs> this up. But we built that car, and I polished everything in it, crushed panels, and Richard Childress was like, man, this is a beautiful car. Well, we <laughs> won the next five Goodies 300s with it. Like, that car would haul butt. So, But that's basically how it got started. But your dad, he was like, hey, I'll pay you $5 an hour to work here. And I was like, all right, that sounds cool. I mean, I ain't, I ain't making nothing. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm making $5 an hour. First week, I go in there, and he's like, All right, come in here. How many hours you worked? I said, 96. He goes, (laughs) what? I said, 96. He goes, ain't no way. I said, I'd work 96 hours. So he's, Yuri, get in here. So he goes in there, and he tells Pops, like, this boy says he works 96 hours this week. And he goes, well, if that's what it is, he's wrote them down every day on that refrigerator, said that's what it is. He goes, well, do you realize he says that right there? He says, He's gonna make more money than you got. <laughs> <laughs> Pop says, Well, that ought to tell you something right there.
2: <laughs> <laughs> a, it goes back so, to the negotiation of your salary yeah. years, years ago. So, yeah. It
5: was like nine, 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 I don't know what it was. It was like right at a grand or something. And I was all, I'm like, Yeah, I'm getting ready to get <laughs> paid. Yeah. You know? My man throws $400 across the table. He goes, This is all you're getting. And he goes, And by the way, you're going on salary next week for two yeah. $200 a week. And I <laughs> looked at him, I said, I don't think that was in my favor, <laughs> you know, so I worked probably two years at $200 a week. Cause I mean, it didn't matter to me about the money. It was being around race cars, being around dad, you know, it's like, it was a whole new life for me basically just to, and we had a good time. I mean, you, when you first start out in this business, it's like you're on the road and you're, you're having a good time. Like you're going from city to city and you're just racing, you yeah. know, and, me and your dad we've we've picked at each other on the road like i've i've had a blast with that and uh, you know it's memories you'll never give up you know
0: yeah so this is right about that time you went to work for dad robert uh had slowed down a little bit wasn't racing as much didn't what building cars like he was yeah uh, so it was a good transition at that time for you
5: yeah he had just he'd really slowed down like uh i think they kind of shut that whole um uh, the bush deal down back that day i think he built one one other car and it was that 51 it was that exxon 51 which was just like you ain't never seen nothing like it i think the pedals the fuel everything that was steel was chrome and the black and you i have you don't see like it was like a show car yeah like people couldn't believe he was gonna put it on the track and uh that was the last car he did before he had his stroke and then uh so it was a good transitional period you know me and pops getting together and you know then working up there uh but i mean it's just uh that was the kind of the whole getting into it i mean the first race i ever went to was with rick Hendrick down at road atlanta you know we went down there for a test he was going to run that race down there so that was the first race i'd ever been to in my life really yeah and that's like rick's got a picture of me like i'm staring over the fender looking at the motor and it's like <laughs> i ain't never seen nothing like that <laughs> like you don't look you don't pop the hood on an 80 camaro and it looked like that you yeah. know So it it was pretty wild just kind of seeing everything. So I want to uh, ask you about your driving
0: career. Um, When did you run your first race? How old were you?
5: I guess I was – I don't know. What was I? I had to be like 17. Yeah. What were you driving? I drove a – actually, it was kind of a funny story because it was like you guys were talking about building a street stock or a super stock. Yeah. You know, you had to have a cage with a stock front and rear clip, and you and Kerry Dale were going to go run that. And uh, they had went and got this chassis. There was goats standing in the middle of it, eating oh, yeah. kudzu out of it. <laughs> so they went down there to get that car, and they were going to make a super stock out of it. Well, their daddy's like, no, nah, you, you, we, ain't, we ain't doing all that. Said, so like, we're going to go down here Doug Wayne's, get you a Monte Carlo, put you a cage in it, and that's what we're going to do. So that's what they went down there and did. Well, I went over to Dale, and I was like, hey, any, any chance you going to do something with that chassis? What you want it for? And I was like, well, I mean, y'all hang out here to like 10, 11 o'clock every night. I said, I'll build me a car. All right. Well, don't you take nothing out of my... And we just bought like that Team 3 deal, the Kenny tw- yeah. Wallace. The,
0: the, the gray
5: 24? Yeah. He went out of business. So and yeah. Dale went down there and bought everything. Got it for basically, you know, pretty much nothing. Sold the cars and didn't have nothing in it. He had this shed and it was full of parts that were just bent up. He's like, hey, you can get anything I want out of that shed. Don't get nothing out of my shop. I said, yes, sir. So I went down there, I got truck arms, I took a 60 rearing house and went over to Darrell Walters and traded it for a bent 64, and then we straightened it, and I took a clip we'd cut off and put the clip on it. In a week, I had it rolling. Mm. Big E's like, you pretty serious about this, ain't mm. you? And I was like, well, yeah, this is fun to me. So I'm like, ready. He's like, well, now that you got it rolling, what are you going to do? I said, well, I got to wait six weeks. I said, the body costs 1200 bucks, so I got to save up six weeks worth of paychecks and then I can get me a body. All right, let me see what I can do. He goes in there, gets on the phone with Hamkey, calls Hamkey. Hey, can your boy put a body on this car for me? So said, yeah. wow. he comes up to me, he says, all right, I got your body took care of it. I'm like, sweet. Like, this is, this is cool. So I go get a body put on it, come back. I do all the interior work, polish it. I got it looking right. Well, I'm out there building this car and they're all out there hanging out on Monday nights. And, uh, uh, Hank Jones comes in, and he sees this car. And, I mean, I done learned how to paint it, everything. Like, I got it sitting there. I'm a semi. Hank comes in and goes, my goodness, boy. He goes, what do you got going on here? And I was like, well, I got me a car. I said, I got to get me a sponsor. He said, I want the whole thing. Wow. putting. He, he said, go to Simpson, get you a driving suit, go get you a helmet. <laughs> what? He says, I'm going to have Sam Bass. Draw- Does this piss
2: you off just a little bit? No. <laughs> he says, Sam Bass is going to draw
5: you up a car. Like, we're going to decal this whole deal up. And Dale's standing there, and Dale's got his hand. He goes, well, you going to sponsor him. You ain't going to sponsor my kids. And he goes, <laughs> well, I'll sponsor them, too. So then we, we, <laughs> oh all gosh. Three, we all three ended up with sports image on everything. Yeah. Wow. And then uh, so Dale comes up to me, and he's like, well, what are you going to do about a motor? And I'm like, well, Jeff Collins told me if I could maybe talk you out of one of these pink short blocks in here <laughs> that he would teach me how to build a motor because I didn't know how to build one. I said he'd said he'd teach me. I just had to buy the part. So I said, It'll just, I said, it might take me a year. But I said, you just hold on. He walks off. He goes there and calls Keith Dorton and says, I need a late model motor. Mm-hmm. And he buys me this big old motor. And I still got it to this day. It's in my shop on the motor stand. Damn, that's I cool. I will never sell that motor. That motor's <laughs> sitting right there. That's pretty cool. And uh, he's, like, he's like, all right, I've got you a motor. Well, this motor's $20,000. Like, it ain't no joke and i'm sitting here and i mean i got this old big spring car and i'm like tickled to death but scared to death in the same deal because i ain't never i ain't never drove nothing off the highway right so but he told me he's like if you're ever gonna drive a car you're gonna drive a limo you ain't driving a street stop and get killed and i was like okay (laughs) whatever (laughs) so i go down there i run this car i'll never forget the day i remember going down to concord it was at like we got down there like one o'clock and get this car down there and dale's got me running all over the shop that morning He tells him, I got to keep that boy busy. I can tell he's nervous. So he's got me loading the truck and everything. I got my car in there. get down there about 1 o'clock, and I had uh, Robbie Faggart come down there to shake it down because he runs that Concord all the time. He's like, he goes out, he said, man, this is a beautiful car. I can't believe you're going to run this. And I was like, well, you know, whatever. (laughs) I'm just looking forward to it. So I get strapped in this thing. He says, it's a little tight. You're good. You can go through that travel wide open. I'm like just looking at him. So I'll never forget it. I go out there, and I'm like, okay, here we go. And I'm, like, going through the gears, and I get up to high gear, and I'm running.
2: I'm so Uh, nervous right now.
5: Yeah, and I'm going around there, and I'm like, I'm I'm lifting everywhere, you know. (laughs) I see Pops wave me. I come down pit road, and he says, you all right? I was like, yeah. I said, did I go fast? He goes, no. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I'm I'm nervous now, you know. So I'm like, all right, let me figure this out. So I was just like, I'll never forget. i go off pit road. And I, come, I remember going through that dog leg and going through three, and I'm like, well, if you're going to do it, do you it. better get after it and mm-hmm. just do it. So when I come <laughs> off of one, I went flat footed and I went through that dog leg wide open. And I mean, it was the most adrenaline you ever had. <laughs> and I'd sit there and I'd pick, I, mean, I picked it up, but I was like, I was, I was happy. You it know, stuck. I was like, it stuck. Uh. I was like, oh, this is great. And
4: I'm like, ah.
5: Going to town. So I practice the rest of the afternoon. Well then cars start showing up. So now the nervousness is coming back up because you don't want to wreck somebody, be in somebody's way, because you know you like, you ain't gonna win tonight. I mean, you're just yeah. trying to get some experience. So I go out there, I'm out there and practice, and I'm I'm going through that trial. I'm thinking I'm he-man, you know, boom, going through there. I go through there, uh-oh. That butt flew out from there. that <laughs> thing. I'm spinning around the deck. You can hear the deck lid fly up and I'm going backwards. Oh, I'm spinning every which way down the back straight away. And it stops up there against the fence, and I'm like, whew, I didn't, didn't hit, hit it. nothing. I was like, what just happened right there? Like I had no clue what was going on. And Pops comes over the radio, he goes, you right? He said, you hit anything? I said, no. Nope. He goes, you know what happened? I said, I have no clue. <laughs> I said, I went through there just like I have every other time, and I said, I couldn't tell you. Well, I looked down at the bottom, there's two cars wadded up down in the bottom, and one of them had busted an oil tank. Oh, and went through that trial and laid oil down. He goes, well, now you know what oil feels like. I'm (laughs) like, well, I don't like it.
3: I don't like it. (laughs) But, you know,
5: it it was a good experience. Like, I had a lot of fun with that car. That car, you know, we've done, I've had so many memories of that car. It's like, you know, it's funny. It's like, just going down there, I like I, never, I think I won one heat race or something, but it was well, like how long did you
2: race? Because or was just that two years? Okay. I think it was. 2 or three. Yeah, the you old ran. slick wasn't your retirement tour either. No, right? so I mean exactly. I ended up he got, like, running. You. He ran, was, ran
0: true late models with me and Kelly and Kerry for a
5: little while. I thought we ran. I thought you raced a little. Longer I only than got now. to run it about ten or eleven yeah. times. My pro, here's what my problem. He's was. working. I'm working. He's like, on I'm yeah, on the track. I'm doing twelve races during the summer. So I get to run two weeks, then I gotta go to racetrack. Then I get to run two weeks or go to racetrack, and sometimes it was a three-week deal that we run. So i remember never forget his um, his daddy come up to me one time and he's like, "Hey," he's like, it, "He he throws these Penske shocks up on the counter." We went to Charlotte, and they just come out with them. He throws them up on the counter. He goes, "You see these four shocks right here?" I said, "Yes, sir." He goes, "I want you to know how to build them and everything about them by in the morning." I was like, "Okay." So, I mean, I'm cross-referencing Carreras to Bill Steens to learning how to build them, and, like, I figured it out. So, like, I've become the shock guy, mm. you know. So, it was like, all right, so I'm figuring all this out. But his daddy comes up to me and goes, all right, got to make a decision right now. Mm. What's that? You're going to drive a race car or work on them. And I just kind of looked back at him, and I was like, well, I don't know. What do you, what you mean? Well, you're going to have to pick a point. Either you got to go full-time driving or you're going to mm. work on them. And I said, "Well, my last name ain't Earnhardt, so I'm just gonna work on them." I said because I said chances of me making it are slim. I said, and as much as I know about the shocks and everything else on these cars, I just work on them. I'll always make a decent living by working on them.
2: What do you reckon he did that though? Though I mean, was was he uh, was just trying was to get, too much? Well, you just
5: you're focusing on this and you're focusing on that, and he just wanted me to pick a lane.
2: But a lot of people do that,
5: you know. And that was cool. I mean, it was. You know I appreciate him doing it because it like it put me in perspective of what I was going to go after. so like my goal was you know I was going to be one of the best crew chiefs, go win races and and do that, and that's what that's what I was. I mean, me and Pops like we won a lot of races together, and it's just it's you know through Big E or if it's through you guys, Steve Park, you know we've had and, and I've grown through all the drivers that's come through there, so it's been a really it's been a really really cool deal to grow up in because I I got to build my own car, learn everything there is about it, so I can do anything on a car. Yeah. Well, then I go and apply myself to the Bush car and then learn about shocks and it's like and then I Alba which is over Hendrick Motorsports yeah. right now, well she was the GM rep that would come and put a Pi system on your car. So oh. I went to a 3-day PI class so I could run the PI system. So when we went testing, like I ran the data system. So, wow. like, I could sit there. So that's why I like the kind of like the engineering side of it is how it kind of got me involved in that, you know. Plus,
0: don't you think as, as, you know, as you went on in your career as a car chief, crew chief, having some sort of driving experience when a driver's talking to you about how the car's handling, what it's doing, helped you?
5: Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you're in that driver's seat and you can actually understand when they talk about how it's light and doing stuff and, you know, because if it don't feel right, you're not going to go fast. So it, it it helped me out a ton. And then you could go try things. Like if when I was doing the shocks, if I wanted to try a shock, I could go feel it myself. Mm-hmm. Like I understood what it was doing. So that that whole deal, anybody that's why that you know, every good crew chief has been driving at some time. Did you, you know
2: did you guys say you raced against each other? We did. We ran oh,
5: against yeah. each other a time or two, Myrtle yeah. Beach
0: one Myrtle Beach once or twice.
5: I don't even remember. I think I think we might have done it twice. Like yeah. I think when I went down there on a weekly show one night. Me and Two beer drove down there, Kevin. Yeah and uh, we drove down there run with you, and then we, I always tried to run the bush. They had the bush race, and then they run a late-mile stock race right before the bush race. So I would always take my car down there and try to run that race and then get out of the car and then and go over go- there and change tires. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And I
0: remember you went to Willsboro to try that one. Yep, one I went time. up
5: there to Willsboro like I sucked up there, like I spun out. I did like, too. I mean, it's know. a tough place. But we had a good time. I mean, it's like – nowadays to say that you've been on north willsboro yeah. i mean ain't many people say that so yeah. it's like it's a really unique like you don't understand it till you drove on it how it goes downhill into one so the car's trying to spin out getting down into one and then you're kind of going uphill you can't even see the apex because you got to go over a rise before yeah. you go into the oh, corner really? oh it's yeah it's
0: really on the side of a hill you, you know you talk about that track at north willsboro going uphill and downhill it's, it's pretty pronounced so, I talked about it at the start of the show. I want to get you guys back on here so we can talk more about Bud Days, HMS Days, what you guys are doing now in your lives. Fury, All yeah. the fans want to know about that. Um, but before we let you go, I want to get – you know, we got Daytona, Daytona 500 this weekend. I want to get you guys uh, – your first trip to Daytona, what do you
5: remember? My first trip to Daytona, mm. man, that's a hard one. Because, I, I mean, we won the race, so, like, it was – it what was that, 91. 91? That 91. was that car you were talking about. Yeah. Because right? was like, yeah, because in 90, me and Dale Jr. watched it front with Martha up at the lake house. Because I helped build that car, but I didn't get to go because mm-hmm. of school. So we watched it up there. In 90, I, 91, I finally got to go. We went down there. We won that race. And, and I mean, I just remember walking into the place and it's just like, like, wow. You know, and you pull in there and it's just like, there's so much atmosphere going on and the way the garage was set up back in those days. I mean, it's just, Daytona's always been special because it's that first place, you know. And, uh, but to go down there and win that race, I think we won it five times in a row, which was huge, you know. So you were on all those trips after that, after yeah. your first trip. Your, your first trip there was
0: winning yeah. Winning the Bush race or the Xfinity race. Yep. Um, Tony Sr., your first trip to Daytona? 1976. Yeah. Mm. So what was that? Well
4: your dad wanted to go run daytona all he had was a little old short track car that he ran up at hickory so we got harry high jr come up and put a put a pontiac front end on it, it was a nova and we put a pontiac front end on it because they said pontiac was better and back then they took plenishing hammers and hammered the fenders out and all that stuff so the car was still a short track car in the back had a big old fender welders laying in the back we tightened the front all up the front looked like a speedway car was supposed to look, and the back it was just old hickory car, you know. <laughs> so we went down there, uh, took everything he had in the back of a steak bed, one ton truck, open trailer, uh, went down there. All the big guys ran that race then, you know, he had Kel in it and Darrell and Bobby and all those guys was in that race. Went down, qualified thirteenth, and uh was happy as we could be. Broke. None of us had no money. All four of us, we had four people. All four of us stayed in one motel room, and uh, we put a case of oil in the back of the truck when we left. When we got back, we had one quart left. That's how much oil it drank. <laughs> the so, truck, now, yeah, the truck. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but we had a big time. We was down there for like twelve days, eleven wow. days, or something. You was there for a long time back then. But uh, you know, we we had a good time when we. we <laughs> The spoiler wasn't right when we got there, and we took it back to the motel room because they'd run us out of the garage, so we took all our stuff and drills and hammers and everything back to the motel room. We built a spoiler in the room, <laughs> <laughs> drilled the commode seat full of
5: holes. <laughs>
3: <laughs> as you
4: do. That's what we was holding on. We'd set it on the commode and drill the holes. <laughs> That's
5: a good one of as benches in here right there, yeah.
4: right there <laughs> boy. But We, we qualified 13th, finished 13th, and we all come on back home. And, that was the first time.
0: Yeah, I remember wow. um, you're running in the top ten. You, you know, I'm hearing this story from you. Yeah, for over the years, and y'all running pretty well, and had water, got water in the fuel. Yeah,
4: yeah. The car, you know, the car was on the open trailer, been out in the rain. We drove down there. We was in rain going down, and uh, you know everything was wide open, nothing was covered, and uh, he'd run fifth, sixth, pretty much all day, and then the car got the surge and it wouldn't run right. And, he kept hollering, he felt like it was a vapor lock or something, you know. We couldn't figure out what it was, and uh, Will Cronkite was helping us. And Will says, it's probably got water in the fuel or something. Says, said, I don't know what we can do. I said, well, it's got that Fram filter on the back. He said, well, let's just take that filter off and see what's in it. So the, when the caution come out, we stopped and screwed that filter off there, and the whole filter was full of water. So I just dumped the filter and everything out on the ground. Just dumped it all out screwed the filter back on there. But it took off in. That's where all the water was. <laughs> so it run after that. So he ended up, he sat right there and run with him all day, but we never got our lap back. So uh. we ended up losing a lap, so we never got our lap back. We ended up finishing the first car in the, uh, one lap
0: down. In what, the 13th. When you got home, what would you do with the car? You cut the front back off and go back to the short track? <laughs> uh, yes, he did. <laughs>
3: so we, we
0: actually, we
4: actually uh, I, I, if I ain't mistaken, I think we took that car to Martinsville right after that. Oh, be damn,
1: wow. You know, y'all, you know, with uh, Robert G., man, he was like a legend. And, you know, I got some friends that work with your, your dad and stuff and work with him and always talked about certain things he would say were just so damn classic. And I heard you impersonate him there uh, before. <laughs> that was and good. And it's like, that was a darn good person. But it's like, you know, they always would tell me one of their favorites was, if the mother don't go, Chrome it. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) What was what was some of y'all's favorite uh, G isms, like things that he would say? Oh my goodness.
5: So it's like I showed you that sign that he had over the door forever, and he said like <laughs> yeah. said everything I like is either immoral, illegal, or fat. <laughs> <laughs> that was <my> good sign. <laughs> everything I like, <laughs>
2: yeah,
4: yeah. He said we all we might not always run good, but we're gonna look good.
2: That's it. <laughs> yeah. That's incredible.
5: I'm telling you, he's he's a piece of work. Now he he's like he named uh they had a dog that we bought him a Shih Tzu, and about that time. Fatback McSwain, yeah. Mike McSwain, he was down there working, and they were working on one of those Charlotte sportsman cars. And uh, he's down there working with Granddaddy. Granddaddy's putting a body on it for him, slicking it up. He looks over at Fatback. He goes, Fatback, I'm going to name this dog Fatback after you because he's just like you. He ain't wolf a s***. <laughs> 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 so that, we always had that dog running around. <laughs> We had that dog that's in that paper over there, Earnhardt. He was running around there all the time. So. But it was just, Grenade was classic. And some of the stories, like that Buddy Perry to tell you, like him painting that car that day on the Creeper. They said they got down there drinking whiskey, and he was so wiped out. Both of them were. They said that they would mix up the paint and hand him the spray gun and he couldn't stand up, so he was on a creeper. So they stuck his leg up, and they would, he would spray it, and they would pull him on that creeper by his <laughs> yeah, leg. No. And that's why they painted the whole side of the car with him on the creeper and them pulling him back and
3: forth.
5: <laughs> that's incredible. Oh, it's crazy. But, I mean, it was like you'd go over there for Charlotte week, and it's like my man would go out there and fire the grill up. he have that back shop open, and he would just, if you walked up, you ate a steak. <laughs> like, he bought a steak for anybody that walked up on that deck. And I'm talking, there's 45, 50 people here. And they'd walk up, hey, Robert, how you doing? I'm doing great. You need a steak? <laughs> and he throw it on there, and here we go. But, Heck, awesome. yeah.
0: Well, man, I appreciate you guys coming over here. I know you guys got a lot more stories to tell, and we're going to get to it <laughs> later this year. Fans want to hear it. But uh, I wanted them to hear kind of how you guys got started, and, and uh, always fun to – you know, rehash some of those great stories.
2: You know what would be a good idea? What's that? Talladega week. Maybe y'all got yeah. y'all oh, did yeah. a lot of y'all's best work for right. three of you. Yeah. Yep. Talladega oh, yeah. week may be a good time to have you boys back. You and, talk
0: uh, about the motor that you I still have that motor from Talladega. Oh yeah. That won all those races. So we can definitely uh we we'll talk roll talk about it in that here. For sure. Yeah, we'll bring it in here. We'll roll sure. it in here. <laughs> 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 It'll be a reunion show. There you go. <laughs> all right. Thank y'all. Everybody, it's Dale Jr. for the Dale Jr. Download. This is the now. It's time for the live Ask Jr. segment of the
1: show, brought to you by Nationwide. So, Matthew, what's the first question? Well, we got people uh, populating the chat room right now, and uh, it seems like everybody wants to know uh, what the what the what you think of the new digs, man. Oh, the new studio.
0: I um I love it. You know, there's uh, basically all this stuff that's in here was pulled out of my collection. Um, so I'm pretty excited about it. Hard to pick what my favorite item is. A lot of people that saw some of the pictures on social media asked about the fire suit. That's from the 2004 Cor- Corvette crash where I caught on fire. They had to cut that suit off of me in the mid, uh, in infield care center. Um, some people said that, that they would have thrown it away, but uh, we mm. keep everything, and I'm glad I kept it. I, didn't probably, I probably wasn't excited about having it for a few years, but eventually <laughs> I got to where I was really glad I kept it. Uh, the number two roof uh, from basically either 79 or 1980, um, Dale Earnhardt, Osterlin, uh, Monte Carlo. We cut that roof off of a car in a junkyard, painted it here at the shop, got the decals made down the street, 150 bucks. We've got a roof to hang on the wall. That's a great idea for any man cave around the world. And uh, whoever your favorite driver is, just go to the junkyard and get a roof. Anyways, uh, yeah, I like it. I think... You know, we were in this uh, – everybody remembers this, the old studio with the couch, and uh, that was fun and great, but, man, we really – Mike and, and his team put a ton of work in this, and, and we're going to have a lot of fun with it this year.
2: I'm going to add one more thing. You know, uh, we've been talking and doing this uh, show so far, and you hear race cars being yeah. worked on in the background. That's not <laughs> an accident. We are uh, – it's still every, every bit as much in the uh, race shop, and so that's kind of something we like. We like to hear that stuff. So,
1: All right, Mitch Mitch. That's a, that's a good one right there. Uh, What's your? This is interesting. What's your racing fetish? I don't know if we want to get into that, but what's your racing fetish, or what type of racing uh, that maybe you always wanted to try but never got to?
0: My, I guess if racing fetish. Yeah, that's a weird. I don't. I don't.
2: don't, Thanks, Mitch. Mitch. Thanks, Mitch. Mitch.
0: I would say that my um, I wish that I was racing or had the chance to race in the seventies. I think yeah. the um, from seventy five, even before that maybe, but seventy five to eighty, the bodies of the cars, the 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 manufacturers, all that stuff was cool. The clothes were cool. The personalities in the sport was uh, all that stuff was just awesome to me. So I watch a lot of those races just to sort of get you know get an idea or. or you know, because I'm so curious, you know, about what the cars drove like and, and how they drafted, raced, handled, how the tires felt, how the tires changed over a run, all that stuff. So love watching those old races from the, uh, from the late 70s. Uh, once they changed bodies in 81, that was still pretty cool to me. But, man, those old, you know, big Monte Carlos and, and, and Dodge Chargers, uh, the Laguna, the Oldsmobile 442, those cars are amazing.
1: All right, uh, Samuel wants to know your five hundred picks, so it can help his yeah. fantasy team.
0: Well, <laughs> it's no surprise to me that the Hendrick cars were on the front row, uh, and that they dominated pretty much uh, pole day qualifying. They've had that kind of speed at uh, Talladega and Daytona for years in qualifying. Whether they have what it takes to draft and handle the way they need to, you know, is another is another you know question. I, I don't. I don't know that anybody's going to be as good as the Penske cars. Whether the Penske can win the race, I don't know. That takes a lot. There's a lot of things that happen throughout that race that change, uh, you know, that can change that. But, you know, we've seen them get swept up in accidents before, not even of their doing. But the Penske cars, to me, look the best in race trim. Uh, Like I said, I'll be there for the duels, and I'll be taking in the action and trying to understand who I think the favorites are. But right now, my money's on any of the Penske cars. Um. TJ Majors is spotting for Joe Logano. The guy's a champion. How's he going to react and race it now that he's a champion? Probably with a whole lot more confidence. And uh, so I think that he's coming in with the most confidence as anyone else. And he's got a great spotter that I've worked with for a long time. So if I was having to pick a driver today who would win the Daytona 500, I would put my money on Joe Logano. Uh, I think Brad Keselowski will be in the mix as well.
1: New spotter there too with yeah. Coleman Presley. So yeah. that's Could that be adjustment? a plus
0: or a minus? Uh, we'll we'll know we'll know later, but um, uh, Blaney had a great run there uh, over the last year, and and uh, he could be a contender. You saw how Paul Menard ran in the Clash, which is basically a Penske car. So I think those cars look the
1: best. Jonathan Moore wants to know uh who is the best raw talent that you've ever raced with.
0: So raw talent to me, you got to d- define that, I yeah. guess. And raw talent is a guy that basically knows – say doesn't know anything about racing. You put him in a car and he's fast. Yeah. Like, how do you, how do you, how does he fat? Well, he's got raw talent. All right. So he has an ability that he's it's not learned. Um, one guy that I thought had raw talent, it was uh, Shane Mill. Mm. Um, yeah. Uh, Shane Mill, to me, uh, just knew how to make a car fast. Uh, he might not have always made the best decisions on the racetrack. And and that was something that would be learned over time, like anyone else. But, to when you put him in a car, he can get more out of that car than I think most people did. Um, so that was one guy that I really thought had loads of raw talent. I can't say whether my dad's talent was raw or learned. I think another guy with raw talent is probably either one of the Bush guys, Kyle or Kurt. I think those guys had driving ability before they really knew how to drive and learned how to drive and learned how to make good judgment on a racetrack. Uh, I'm going to think of about ten or fifteen more throughout the day now that I've been asked this question, but that's probably my answer so far.
1: All right, uh, Albert wanted to know, how's dad life treating you? We've had uh, a break now, so we haven't yeah, had many right. Isla updates.
0: Well, I've been uh, posting on social media uh, so people can see a little bit about how Isla's doing um, and what we got going on. She's doing great. Dad life's great. Uh, I'm loving it. And I'm in the middle of it. I'm doing, you know, I'm 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 doing my part. And, uh, so it's great. I I really would need more specifics, I guess, as to what people would want to know about dad life, but it's fun. Everything I hoped it would be. Isla is just an incredible individual and such a personality and she just, that shows more and more each day. And, uh, she's more and more fun each day. And she's starting to understand how, I think she's, we were enamored with her right out of the gate. Now I think she's starting to have that with me and Amy, and she's starting to want to be around us and and enjoying us as much as we've enjoyed her, which is really cool.
1: Hey, uh, Danger Mouse just chimed in, and this is an interesting. <laughs> yeah, I like Danger, Danger Mouse. Mouse. Danger Mouse. Yeah. Would you ever consider? You've got a lot of different cars and some some hot rods that cool trucks you got. Um, bringing any of your cars to like car shows or Hot Rod Drag Week we or or whatever.
0: Well, uh, Ray Everingham has this uh, car show every year. We send a couple cars over there each year. So my cars go to some places, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I I haven't really – if I can't go do it because I'm usually working or doing something else. So Sonny or some of the guys on the property might take the car somewhere. If we're trying to sell something, we might take it to the Charlotte Fair or something Mm -hmm. like that. They go to the Charlotte Auto Fair to track every year. Um, I've tried to get over there the last couple of years and, and since I retired. But I can yeah. just see
1: you in a little lawn chair yeah. next just to your car, out, ch- chilling sell, out. Selling cooler. some
0: old parts, <laughs> selling some old wheels and crap. <laughs> sure. We yeah. have a, yeah, well, the best thing we do is basically we take the snake in the cooler and oh, yeah. put, a sign, put a free drink sign on it and videotape everybody.
1: Fake snake. A fake snake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's get that straight. Ha, yeah. Has uh, Sonny ever gotten you with a snake?
0: Yeah, uh, A couple times, yeah. <laughs> so there's rubber snakes that are, <laughs> you'll find them all over the place around the property. And
1: they keep moving. All right, Devin wants to know, uh, where does the Elvis car, Richmond, 2007 rank uh, with, you know, some great schemes, maybe like the Grey Ghost that's behind you right there? I went and
0: signed autographs in Indianapolis this past week and signed a handful of those Elvis cars, and it surprises me that I see so many of them. We ran that car one time, and we blew the motor. We actually were running pretty good, I think, top five all night, and the motor blew, and we didn't get a great result. And usually when the car doesn't finish well, I don't see a lot of those special paint scheme diecasts being brought around for autographs, but for whatever reason, obviously, I think it says a lot just about Elvis's fan base and the people that you know support or, or follow him. Um, I, was, I was a big Elvis fan. My grandmother, Martha Earnhardt, was a huge Elvis fan. When I would go to her house as a little boy, she had figurines and sign, pictures and just stuff all over the house with Elvis Presley and his music playing all the time. So, I became a big Elvis Presley fan. It was a big deal for me to be able to drive that car that night. Uh, but with that with that terrible finish that we had, I didn't anticipate that car having such an impact, but we still see it today. Fans still carry it around and I think it says more about Elvis than it does about anything else. Yeah, cuz he was such an icon and and even today, you know, still a lot of people um, support him and and uh, think, you know, listen to his music. I still do. I have a lot of a lot of Elvis music. I got a room in my house dedicated to Elvis. I'm I'm almost ashamed to say. Um, I've always had an Elvis room in my house with a bunch of his memorabilia in it, and uh, still have that today. Amy's just, Amy's not taking that out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised on that. one. I know. As 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 as, mar- as I got married, some of the things in my bachelor pad uh, became less bachelor like, and uh, <laughs> I, I anticipated the Elvis room to to go away
1: one day, but. I've got, Still like, a there. closet now. <laughs> yeah. Hey, we, need, we do need, like, a Velvet Elvis in here or something. I just thought of that when you saying that. <laughs> we, we need some Elvis
0: <laughs> memorabilia in here. I got a bunch. Heck
1: yeah, man. Uh, Lorenzo chiming in. Uh, what do you think? Uh, what's your thoughts on seeing Carson uh, running USAC, the Midgets, and she ran the Chili Bowl? and
0: Yeah, so Carson ran a handful of races last year in the Midgets. Uh, she's going to run the full season this year, and this all came about That's up, incredible. I know. This came about really quickly. She was uh, sponsored by Pristine Auctions last year. She wanted to run more. Kelly, her mother, said, you need to put together a proposal. She, Carson, put together a proposal, gave it to an agency who put, you know, sent this proposal all around and uh, got, enough sponsor, got enough attention for sponsors to, to come together, a good handful, two or three different sponsors. Brant is one of them that sponsors our, our race team here.
2: Nationwide's one. Uh,
0: Nationwide's one. But she got a handful of people interested through this proposal that she created to be able to fund the entire season uh, with Billy Boat and uh, Chad and those guys who are tremendous people. She's having a lot of fun. She's in great company, in great hands with the Boat family, and uh, I'm going to be watching a lot of midget car races on my uh, laptop or my iPad here this year, and I'm excited about it. We I watched her just uh, the other night, and she's learning as she goes, uh, going to all these new tracks and um, it's a bit of a challenge to her, but she's taking it on head-on, man, and she's fearless, so it's fun to watch.
1: We we have probably the most pressing question we've ever had on Ask Junior. Wow, here. okay. Get ready, okay? Mm-hmm. Kevin wants to know, what's for lunch today?
0: I don't know. <laughs> um, I, I'm going to be on a plane to Florida. Uh, we're going down to uh, meet up with Team Rubicon, who uh, is is organization that um, goes out to different areas in the country uh, to help with disaster relief. So um, we teamed up with them and Mountain Dew to to help bring awareness to their program. And I'm going to go down there today to do that. So probably just a salad or something on the plane, and probably the same thing coming home. But um, I'm excited to work, you know meet the folks at Team Rubicon. I've been talking to them for several months now, and we're finally going to get together. and And I'm looking forward to today.
1: All right, last question from Bonnie: uh, Did you watch the Grammys? And if, if so, what was your uh, favorite act?
0: No, I didn't. Amy put the red carpet stuff on and I leave the room, man. I cannot take that. <laughs> the chitter chatter about the dresses and who's wearing this. What I think I think this person's coming in and they're gonna dress like this. No, they're not gonna be dressed like I'm like, who why are we debating what they might wear? Um I just can't take it, man. So uh I left the room. <laughs> um Yeah. <laughs> I I mean uh, congratulations to uh, who you know everyone, whoever, yeah. Whoever, yeah. Won, whoever whoever did, everyone won. who wore it best but uh I'm I'm good.
1: And right? We we debate like that about Mike Davis by the way before What's he comes What's Mike going to wear today? What's Mike going to wear today? Is it going to be like that Is s- it
0: going to be western wear or going to be more <laughs> metro? Right?
2: Is he going <laughs> to wear his chaps?
1: <laughs> Whoa, no. I don't want to think of you in chaps.
0: <laughs> I didn't say only chaps. Is it going to be chaps or is he going to wear a bama jersey?
2: Oh that to look good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: All right, man. uh, What's
0: happened to what? That brings up a question. Why? Why is it bad to wear jerseys now? Everybody's saying you can't wear jerseys just walking around in public.
2: I'm with I'm with that crowd too. There's a there's a a growing
0: there's a growing. uh, It's too cool. Yeah, they can't wear jer- like basketball jerseys or football jerseys or hockey
1: jerseys out in public. I love hockey jerseys. Out in public, yeah. Can I wear a hockey jersey on the um, show let, one at day? At a
0: game, it's good, but apparently the, there's a growing group of people that feel like they, they should not be worn in public. Hipsters. I guess.
1: All right, Ask Junior, uh, presented by Nationwide. Got to thank Nationwide, of course. Absolutely. That's right. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed it. Like,
3: like...
0: <laughs> so we got a new segment of the show called like really <laughs> and uh the host of this part of the show is um leah vaughn who is is a new member
2: yeah of, of the dale junior brand team of actually.
0: the dale junior brand team and leah is uh
6: yeah i'll just let you
0: tell everybody yeah, yeah. who are you
6: <laughs> why <laughs> are you loaded, here it's a loaded question yeah. uh i spent uh last seven or so years in drag racing and yeah. decided to Come join you guys on this side. All
2: nice right. uh, nice addition so to what, our team. Yeah,
0: so what do you think you're going to bring to the table
2: for the
0: podcast this year? All
6: mm-hmm. the social media stuff. So okay. we want to do live polls. We want to bring everybody kind of inside our studio. Um, so that's kind of our goal this year.
0: Fantastic. Awesome. All right, so tell us about Like Really.
6: Like, really? Man, it's been an interesting start to 2019 in social media already, with the egg going viral on Instagram. So
2: weird. Oh, so weird.
6: Silly. It made me question everything I know about social media. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's got 52 million likes on Instagram. Like, like really?
3: Yeah.
6: <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we moved on to the egg, and it's now a baguette. Like, the crusty bread. Oh. Have that's, you seen that?
2: Oh, that's the viral thing now. That's
6: what's happening on the internet right now. A baguette. If baguettes could move, how would they move? So yeah. there's four options. It can move like a worm. It can gallop. It can go end over end like a robot, or it can crawl like a caterpillar. And people, ten point six million people are enamored by this.
1: This is what's, ha- this, this, is, is what's this is what the nation's captivated
6: yeah. with. Mike.
2: This is our priorities. Yes. yes. Yeah. Which explains a lot. So, so, and this is also what your core identity is. I mean, your purpose (laughs) for here, for being here is about basically coming up with things that'll make like the baguette that'll make us go viral. Do you know that? I mean,
6: if a food is going to go viral, I think it needs to be bacon.
2: Bacon. I'm down with that. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Not a damn baguette. A baguette. What is a baguette?
6: You know, like the hard loaf, like crusty bread. Like you go to Panera and you get a baguette with okay. your with your soup. That's a baguette.
1: That's yeah. a baguette. Yeah, I didn't even know it. Kind of like a, name. a hoagie roll, I guess. But I didn't know it had a name like that. That's a very it's kind of French. Kind of a weird name, yeah.
2: But why are people debating on how it would move?
6: Um, some random guy asked it, and it has gone. It's got ninety five thousand retweets. <laughs> people are voting on how it would move.
1: Why would you want your food to move? And what anyway? what are the options?
6: So it will. It's a worm could crawl like a worm uh-huh. or it could gallop like a horse uh. end over end like a robot <laughs> or like a scrunch like move like a caterpillar
0: which is like a worm yeah pretty kind of
6: it has close. a little more like scrunch to it so i say that the only way it can move is end over end because yes. rolling yeah because it's hard it doesn't move
1: yeah, it couldn't it couldn't slinky it would crumb all over the place if you tried to bend it yeah. so
6: 62 percent of people say that it moves end over end, like kind of like a robot. Well, at
0: least we got that going for us. I know, right? Because we're all on the same. Are you?
2: Wait. <laughs> what team are you on? I'm on a team who gives a. Sh- uh. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say it, boys. I, but, but, like, you. I, 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 you know what's on my mind right now is like, who in this company is most likely participating in this conversation? That's what I really want to know. And it's like, because uh, I could think of a couple right now. You know, Mayhoff's up there oh, <laughs> jumping yeah. in this thing. Oh, yeah. Tony Mayhoff is. I don't know, man.
1: I like bread, so I'm, a, I'm in on it. But I'm in on team end over end because it's not, it, a baguette doesn't have enough flexibility to move in any other s- fashion. Yeah. What, what else are people saying?
6: Um, about the baguette or no, another news? No. <laughs> <note>. Okay, <laughs> not let's, the baguette. Let's move on because we got some new emojis coming out this year. Really? Very exciting. Now
2: this is something Woo-hoo! I can get behind.
6: <laughs> so uh, I think the one that people are most excited about is the yawning face.
2: Good. I could use that one. Yeah. I could use that one. So Everybody's looking at me like, why? Why would you use that? No, I'm not. <laughs> is this tiring? Them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that's a good one. You would love that one. Yawning. Yeah. I think so. I mean, it's
0: going to, all the new ones will get used a lot.
2: Every time we send Dale Jr. an idea, like from a brand standpoint, we'll be like, hey, so check this out. This is what we're going to do with this. All like, the, 50% yeah. of the time, he will now reply with, with that. with a yawning face. Yeah. And he'll be right. <laughs> Everybody will use the new ones a lot. You'll get
0: tired of them quickly. What else? Are they what new ones? So, what new ones are in there?
6: So in the animal department, we have a sloth, because mm-hmm. you know a yeah. lot of people are into sloths. Apparently, really? okay. No, um, a skunk, a flamingo, an otter, and an orangutan.
2: I think they just Skunk's tell me. Good. You know, there, there's not a good representation of race cars. It's only like the Indi, op, open wheel Indy car right. is the only right. race car. There's technology. not an American there's made stock. Yeah, car. there's not a stock car. Yeah. What are we doing about that?
6: We should start a petition. Yeah. Get a stock car. Is
0: that how these emojis happen? They get a you know people are crying for them to hap, you know create this oh, yawning. Man.
6: There's a, a thing called Emojipedia, and they are in charge <laughs> of emojis. Really? Yes. Yes. Emojipedia. Okay. So, Where's that headquarters? I don't know, but we need to find them. <laughs>
1: hey, yeah. you know uh, the the best one. It probably lives on the internet. Yeah, maybe. Sounds like it. Probably. I'm excited about the waffle. Oh yeah. Oh, there's a waffle. There's a yes. waffle. Okay. I love waffles.
6: That's not my favorite one though. What's your what's favorite? Service dogs.
1: Of course, of course. We
6: got two different kinds of dogs. So we have the guide dog. We had enough already,
2: didn't we? This is no! your favorite emoji? Yes, a service dog. Anything
6: uh. dog related is okay. obviously going to be my favorite emoji. Well there, there you go. <laughs> so we got So all that.
0: right. Well there's a there's a way to tell what your favorite emoji is. If you go to your phone and go to text and let's really? go to, I'm going to text Mike and I'm going to go to emojis. And what's the first one? Oh, oh, what's the on first one that pops in? What's the first in? one up no, on top?
1: I, I, I'm a little nervous here. What's
0: the first one? I, on, the, mine's the crying face. <laughs> but it's
6: that's probably, mine,
2: too. Probably mine. Right? Everybody,
0: yeah. that's the one that's you use mine the too. most.
1: Yep, that's mine. Everybody uses the same one. Poop is my second. What's the second as far as going left to right? Uh, <laughs> left to right is is the proper order. Hmm. I'm I'm looking finger,
2: like, I got fingers crossed. Dale Jr. has used the fingers crossed lately. He has used that uh, face with the mask over it because yeah. he's been sick. <laughs> Um, he winked at me, which was weird.
1: Wait, what was the context here? Come on. Yeah. It's not like you're good looking. Like, Hey, there you go. My I days. stand
2: corrected. He didn't wink. That's a, that, that, that's an accusation I have to, you know, strike from the record. It was actually another sick face. You were really sick this weekend, weren't yeah. you? Yeah. He was talking about his whole house had the stomach flu. He gives me this one and the the, the, the little dude yeah, that's the guy doing like, this. Like, oh yeah, well, that's whatever, a good one.
1: Yeah, like that's that. good one. I like that. I use Amy the uses that more. one a lot. I always have a ve- uh, the vegetable, uh, the purple vegetable is always up there in mine. Really? Yeah. <laughs> he puts food. I in I don't it. even want to know why. I just love <laughs> I know. eating eggplant. Yeah, you know, I think it's a great vegetable. Okay. <laughs>
6: Uh, the, I think the most bizarre emoji that they're coming out with is the pinching hand. So to show like just a little, yeah, yeah, people okay. are kind of bewildered by that. Yeah, like why do we need this?
1: Why wouldn't it just be together, Leah? Like this?
6: Because it needs to show that so it's that, just that means a, like else. a little bit, yeah, just a little bit. Okay. All right. So keep, keep us posted on this. That's a, I so, use this guy too. Oh yeah, face palm. Yeah, like yeah. oh my
0: god. Dang.
6: Right. <laughs> SMH.
0: I use that one a lot.
6: All right. So that's what's exciting. I like it, man. The- New
0: emojis. I get excited about emojis. I use them a lot. Mike's not much of an emoji user. Well, I'm not much of a texter. He isn't. Mike does use the you know where you can highlight. You can kind of highlight the text and either thumbs up it, thumbs down it. Oh yeah. Yes. I like that. Give it a heart. Give it a ha ha. He uses that a lot.
1: Yeah.
6: If I could just text in gifs, I'd be happy.
1: Yeah, you are like the gift l- a gift god. Man,
6: I love a good gif.
1: Yeah. There's huh? some
2: that would say you're not even pronouncing that right. That's how much you I love know. it. I know. Oh, the don't Gif get into that. Yeah. that. That'll be, is That'll be the butter. next viral conversation that means absolutely nothing to the actual <laughs> the, the, the America fabric. Cool. This, so this is Like Really. And we're going to do this every week?
6: Hopefully. All the, right. If the internet provides some content. I
2: don't think they'll let you down.
6: <laughs> <laughs> Keep coming, bud. White flag,
5: bud. White flag right there. White
2: flag. I want to ask all of you a question, all right? You ready? What happens this Thursday that makes the long, cold off-season a distant memory and makes you happy all over again? Oh, baby racing. Is that what it is? What now? What, may, what happens this, thaz, this Thursday that makes the long, cold off-season a distant memory and makes you happy again? Mm, I guess the duels. Valentine's Day, you idiots. Oh, shoot, I <laughs> forgot. Jesus, you're married.
1: <laughs> oh, man, I forgot.
2: Come on. Oh, my I mean, bad. You not, come on, you knew I'm used him, to be on the road. I didn't even
6: Valentine's know that. Valentine's
2: Day. <laughs> You don't like Valentine. I'm not
1: <laughs> no. a fan
6: of Valentine's Day. I hate day that though. holiday. Anti Day. You know
0: the great thing about Valentine's Day for me. Was no, tell me when I it's over. <laughs> so I don't like it because it, it's like an obligation. Yes, you know. And the great thing for me was that all Amy and I would do, and she was great with it. She was. She, we had a. Uh, we would just drive to a drugstore. Mm-hmm. and individually go into the drugstore. <laughs> While the other way at the car? While the other way in the car. Oh, How romantic. And get, <laughs> and get candy for each other and bring it out and then uh, go back to, you know, go back to, the, we were usually at Daytona, so we'd go back to the bus and then get That's each right. other their candy. <laughs> that was our, that was our, I'd take her to dinner. I'd take her to dinner anyways.
2: It ends up being a more stressful holiday. I mean, like, if it's going to be a holiday, it's nobody's birthday. No. It's, it's, it's nothing significant that happened on that day, I think. But it's like, it's stress. Single people don't like it. Couples don't like it. Like, who would just Man, be nice to my wife? I think we're going to we'll find,
0: out, I think we'll find out a lot more people like it than we think. It's but so women,
6: forced. Like, I would rather somebody, it is. like on a random Tuesday, surprise me with a box of chocolate, flowers, take me to dinner, whatever. But, like, it's so forced. On this day, you have to do this. Yeah, yeah
1: right? Yeah, just be nice to your significant other every or day. wife every day.
2: Is that why you were thinking racing
1: about Thursday? <laughs> yeah, because, just, I, I, because Tuesday, I'm going to be really nice to my wife. Tuesday. Thursday, I'm going to be more concentrated on racing. All right. Um, All
2: right. I think the moral of the story is just treat (laughs) treat your people right all the time, right? Boom. Dale mentioned earlier in the Ask Junior uh, Live segment, uh, he's heading to Daytona today to meet up with the uh, friends at Mountain Dew and participate in that event with Team Rubicon. For the first time in the history of the great American race, the pace vehicle will be a truck instead of a traditional car. And the truck, uh, (laughs) driving the truck is me Dale Earnhardt Jr. in a a 2019 Silverado you nervous
0: no I would be but I drove the pace car at Indy last year and so I kind of know what I'm getting myself into Um, plus it'll be fun you know I'll be able to go through pretty much all of the pre-race festivities and see everything happening which is a lot of it's really interesting and and a fun time to to experience the Daytona 500 pre-race show yeah and uh, everything you know the drivers meeting and all that so I'll be – it'll get me excited to watch the race.
2: Yeah, so, last year, you were the Grand Marshal. This year, you're the pace truck driver. Next year, uh, what we're is, the green flag. Is that, I, what, is that what we're going to campaign I'm for? I'm keeping my fingers crossed, right. as,
0: as you can tell by the emoji I use. D-
2: oh, <laughs> <laughs> I use it a lot. Oh, my
0: gosh. I'm always – my fingers are always
2: crossed. Right. yes. Well, all right. So, Chip Weil, you heard it here. Dale wants to wait. Maybe that's a NASCAR thing, not a Chip Weil thing.
0: I'll tell you what. I, I'm driving the pace car this year. I gave the command the year before. And the people that are tired of me, or not fans of mine, (laughs) are all on social media going, oh man, when's this guy going to go away? So... Out of in spite, I would, I would love to give the command next year.
2: Well, listen, not is, give the command, the, wave, the, wave the green flag, just, you, in,
0: just out of spite.
2: We, this is when you can rely on that old Goody emoji, that bird finger emoji, yeah. is always oh, yeah. I want to
0: try to find a little different job every year. <laughs> at Daytona, like,
2: what, Dale Junior 2022 is, is going to sell French fries. Out of the turn the, one, after the green flag, what can we do? What's what <laughs> what is it? Yeah, no, for know. real. Maybe you can be up there doing what David Hoots did, <laughs>
1: programming. Oh, what oh, that new guy's yeah doing.
2: Okay. That'll be fun. Well, listen, good luck with that, because uh, if you mess that Thank up, you. I mean, I that, that goes viral. We'll be talking about that on, well, like, really next week. I,
0: <laughs>
2: I got two buddies on the front row, William
0: Byron, whom, yeah. who worked for Junior Motorsports, and, uh, and and Alex Bowman,
2: who also drove for Junior Motorsports. So those guys will take care of me. Good. I won't be right. too
0: nervous having those two behind me.
2: Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is our first show. And Dale, I'll give you the last word, but I, I will say uh, it's good to be back. And yeah. It's good to be back in our new digs. It's good to have Lee on board. Matthew's got his whole room in there that he gets to take over. Uh, it's the joke. We get we need a name for that room, uh, but yeah, it's good to be back. Dale, Dirty close booth. us out.
0: So, what do you think? My final thoughts should be: Can I do my weird NASCAR <laughs> Wait, history?
2: Do that. That's yeah. cool. All
0: right. So, final thoughts. I got some weird NASCAR history for you. I was reading. Uh, a program from uh, 1975 at uh, Riverside Raceway. In September of 1976, the California Board of Education was converting all mathematic textbooks to the metric system. In a preemptive response, NASCAR changed the distance of the June 13th Riverside 400 race from 400 miles to 400 kilometers. That's 248 (laughs) miles. California schools were going to convert to the metric system in 76. So, Wilson Ryle said that the California schools will convert to the metric system starting in 76. He's the uh, state superintendent of public instruction, whatever that is. <laughs> All right. They declared the, pr- the present system of inches, pounds, and quarts on its way out. Oh. All right. Wow. And he said he's determined to see new math and science texts only use metric measurements. Oof. He said the metric system will simplify arithmetic and daily life if we give it a chance. He said it was inevitable that the United States would switch to the metric system within a decade. All right. The U.S. metric study recommended that the United States implement a carefully planned transition to the uh, the principal use of the metric system over a decade. Congress passed the Metric Conversion Act of 1975 to coordinate and plan the increasing use of the metric system in the (laughs) United States. Wow. Voluntary conversion was initiated. And the United States Metric Board was established for planning, coordinating, and public education. The public education component led to public <laughs> awareness of the metric system, but the public response included resistance, Mike, well, apathy, and sometimes ridicule. Oh God! In oh, 1981, boy. the USMB <laughs> reported to Congress that it lacked the clear congressional mandate necessary to bring about national conversion. Because of this ineffectiveness. In the effort to reduce federal spending, the USMB was disbanded in the autumn of 1982.
2: Uh, but but what, did the California track not get the memo, and they just decided to change their race?
0: I just think it's I, California it,
2: Phoenix still hasn't got the memo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Phoenix and the uh, Aaron's people that used to sponsor that. Right. Imagine
0: imagine a time in the mid in the mid 1970s when the uh, when. There was real push to have the metric system be adopted, you know, countrywide. Uh, NASCAR, NASCAR was going to buy in.
2: NASCAR, like we got this, we'll lead it.
0: We'll lead it. it. NASCAR, hold my beer. Yeah. Yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's when they decided. You know what? Weird. We'll just stick stick with our. Yeah, we'll just stick with the. That's weird NASCAR history.
0: I. Uh, great show. Man, love the new studio. We're going to have a lot of fun this year, guys. Uh, again, the podcast comes out every evening on Monday. And uh, do you know exactly
2: what time, Mike? Well, I believe we set it on 7-ish, 6 All or right. 7. Is that right, Matthew? Matthew? I just say
6: ish. No pressure, Matt. <laughs> no, <laughs> not,
2: but that's not what we discussed. We discussed that it was going to be a Ma- get- Matthew,
1: what time is it going to be ready? Uh, Dang, you guys put me on the spot. Damn it. 7? All right, 7 o'clock.
6: So confident, seven. Yeah,
1: for real. He doesn't. <laughs> this right. is a little long
2: today. <laughs> Face palm emoji on you right now, boy. <laughs> all right. So
0: every Monday night, every Monday we're doing the podcast. Every Monday night, you're going to have a podcast to listen to. Every single Monday, you won't have to wait a day. On Tuesday, NBCSN will be airing a video version at five o'clock, one hour long. Thank you for listening. this is Dell Junior, Mike Davis, Leavon. Matthew Dillner. We'll talk to you next week. Check out Dirty Mo Media on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Dirty Mo.